If you were a famous dragon, what would you be famous for? Not what would you like to be famous for. What would you be famous for? Oh, uh, I mean, clearly talking too much. Yeah, right. Absolutely. Thanks, Brad. Fuck you. Like monologuing? <laughs> yeah, I'm not going to disagree. Monologuing. <laughs> yeah. You said it. I was just agreeing. Uh, I think I would probably be famous for hit and run tactics. Really? Yeah. Lure somebody in, drop a trap on them, get out. Like, indirect confrontation. That's you would never sad. actually see me. I think I would be, I don't think necessarily monologuing, but certainly showboating. I oh, yeah. I get myself for that. You're the dragon that would actually start combat with roll initiative. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> I go last. Oh. It's a mimic, the round table Dungeons and Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our discussion on dragons in Dungeons and Dragons 5th edition. I am Admin. With me today are Terry and Brad, and this episode is called Famous Dragons, Super Egos, and Tall Tales. But Tall Tales? T-A-I-L-S. So, we've previously covered all the chromatic and metallic dragons that you can find in 5th edition in the Monster Manual, as well as all sorts of dragon-related creatures and templates. We've spent an episode waxing poetic about what powers and inspirations exist for dragons in previous editions. And you can find all these episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps, or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on dragons that we've built there. This episode, though, is going to break down the majority of the famous dragons in 5th edition so far. Now, we're recording this before Fizzband's Treasury of Dragons has been released, so there will probably be a few new and interesting entries by the time this episode comes out. For now, though... Watch out for spoilers, because we're about to ruin plot lines and secrets for Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus, Out of the Abyss, both of the Waterdeep Adventures, both the Starter Set and the Essentials Kit, Princes of the Apocalypse, The Curse of Strahd, and also if you're planning on poking around in the anthology books, Candlekeep Mysteries, or Tales from the Yawning Portal, we're about to give spoilers on some of those adventures too. And both Ravnica and Wildmount have some unique dragons that we'll be going over as well, but... You should be aware that if you are ever going to be playing Storm King's Thunder, you should skip this episode. Yes. Surprisingly, not Rise of Tiamat or, or Horde of the yeah, Dragon. Like we'll, we'll cover from those yeah. as well. But It's not spoilers in the same way. But, but No, Storm King's Thunder has major spoilers. Yeah, yeah big time. <laughs> um, if you're still here, now that we have said this, uh, then I want to reiterate that the best way to learn about creatures is by watching them in action in the official published adventure modules. I operate primarily on homebrew settings, but I often dig through the adventures to see what the creatures are up to. I find inspiration about their homes, tactics, attitudes, and social structures, and no creature type gives as much inspiration within adventures as dragons. They really stop to take their time to lay out who this dragon is, why they're doing it this way, what the lore is behind them, the way that they don't do it for hobgoblins and right it's the nature of dragons though right they they are personalities within the world of Mm dnd they impose so much presence in the world it makes sense to give them the time of day well the other part of it too is that as we have learned over the course of this podcast the dragons in the monster manual kind of suck yeah they're boring they're they've got the same kind of everyone has a different color a different attitude, and a different breath weapon. And other than that, they're kind of the same. A dragon's a dragon, a dragon. Yeah, so there's not a whole lot of variety, and then you start to get into the adventure modules, and you find that, oh, this one can also do this, or this one has a really cool background that does that, mm-hmm. or you know, there's all sorts of weird layer actions and stuff. So we thought it would be a good idea now to sit down and, and kind of 
break these down because not every dragon is considered equal um, as far as the attention that they get in the modules, despite the fact that the monster manual looks pretty much standard across the board. It's almost like it's a base template. And yeah. I wish that they had said that in the monster manual. I think the more that you read into modules, you're going to realize that yourself that, yeah, this is a great starting point Yeah, and add the flavor yourself. But if you're, if you're certainly, if you're brand new to D and D and you're just using those core books, uh, it, there's, it seems as though dragons are very basic and that yeah. there isn't any other layers to them and and that it is correct to be to do that way. I think they were hoping that through your knowledge of pop culture dragons throughout all everywhere else that they exist, you could kind of take these templates and then add the character yourself. Yeah. But yeah, they don't overtly state it in the books and I think they should. Yeah. So we've gone through in the past, let's see, we did white dragons who are essentially hunters and uh they're the most dim-witted of dragons but they still have a basic intelligence like a human does yes you think about half the people you know in your real life are still dumber than one of these yeah they're they're just they're just food driven creatures aren't they yeah well they're brutal they're driven by brutality and savagery and i'm they're bullies i'm the biggest strongest thing in the playground yeah so i'm gonna eat you yeah um then there were black dragons which we covered as well Black dragons, of course, are from swamps, and they've got basic uh, acid breath. That's their thing. Mm-hmm. White dragons have cold. Black has acid breath. And they are pretty much evil incarnate. They are about as evil as they come. They're they, sadistic. Yeah, they want to see people suffer. Yeah, um, pretty badly, actually. Green dragons are almost as bad. And when we went over them, we discovered that they're actually the manipulators. Yeah, they're the they're ones... scheming. Yeah. Very, very um, smart and very willing to manipulate everyone around them. Mm-hmm. Blue dragons are also incredibly smart, yes. but they have um, a little bit more... What's the word I'm looking for here? Uh, a little more cautious toys. and a little more... They're smarter in the way that they deal socially smart. I think blue dragons, what I took is that they want people to be truly impressed by their ability. Not necessarily how they tricked you and went through the back door, but how they overtly demonstrate that they are actually better than you. Yeah, they don't need to do the whole villain speech that you get from a Bond movie. Yeah. They'll just do it and they're not trying to. They're not trying to stab you in the back. They're yeah. trying to show you how well they can stab you in the chest. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> um, then we ran into the Red Dragons, which are the biggest and the baddest of the chromatic. They're the most evil of evil. And they know they're the best, and they have kind of earned that. Yeah. Yes, they have. Um, with the exception of gold dragons. So mm-hmm. uh, we worked all the way up for metallic, or for, sorry, for chromatic. So we'll work all the way down for metallic. Perfect. Um, gold dragons are the best good guys that will ever be good. Law and good, and we will help everybody, and we're your allies and your mentors, and so on and so mm-hmm. forth. Um, I believe you said, Terry, that they're the most boring of the dragons. I was actually just going to go boring, yeah. and I thought I wouldn't... I decided not to cut you off. <laughs> yeah. Um, silver dragons, as Dan said, they're the paragons of good. Whereas, whereas Hall monitors is what they are, and they should be getting bullied. <laughs> whereas gold dragons were all about um, the, the greater good, uh, silver dragons are almost like egotistical good. Like... Like it is, it with virtue signaling is oh, what it is. Shit, isn't it just <laughs> Pharisees? Um, when it comes to uh, copper dragons, I'll skip to copper for a second um, because they're the practical jokers. They're the ones with the biggest personalities. They're still good, but they're going to be a pain in the ass to interact. They're with. almost fey, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then there's the bronze and the brass, which everybody gets different. Do you guys remember the 
difference between them? Brass is fire, bronze is lightning. Is, is the all I can remember. Okay, so when it comes to um, bronze dragons, they're the ones that are seafaring. They're the ones that want to get into combat, and they're all about joining armies and leading armies. And uh, they will often polymorph into a humanoid in order to you know infiltrate the ranks and then lead an army forward. Mm-hmm. Whereas the brass dragons are, you know, they're quick-witted. They've got they've also got a slow breath as well, whereas the bronze has a uh, repulsion breath. Mm-hmm. Um, so your brass is going to be your social encounters and your bronze are going to be your combat encounters, or at least that's where they're the most comfortable. Right. Of course, you can right. do any encounter with any dragon. We also covered briefly Draculiches, which of course are dragons who became liches. And because then, of course. Because of course. And then there were also uh, shadow dragons that we covered, where um, these are just a template that you put on any one of the other dragons, just like you do with a Draculich. But the reason they're a shadow dragon is because they went off into the shadow fell, they got tempted, they became corrupted. And they've become infused with necrotic energy and darkness and shadow. and mm-hmm. So even the good guys can fall and become evil. And the evil ones can become, I don't know, as or more evil than yeah, they were extra, before. Just yeah. extra. I feel more evil black dragon yeah. than before. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, other than that, we've covered some draconic creatures. But I think the only ones that we're going to be bringing up today are, correct me if I'm wrong, guys, I, don't, I don't remember what you guys are covering. But I've got at least a dragon turtle and a fairy dragon. Mine are pretty much all dragons across the board. I have, I have all almost all dragons, but one construct. Okay, so dragon turtles are remember intelligent, yes. and that surprised us when we when we broke and that greedy. episode down. Yeah, and like weirdly mercenary. Yeah, they're <laughs> right. yeah they're way more impressive than I thought they were. Yeah, and then um, fairy dragons are not quite fey, but but they're fey. Right, and they have a variety of different colors. Each color gets a different, um, or indicates a different age, and gives them a different ability, uh, magical mm-hmm. ability. But they're all mischievous and you know, fae-like. So they're they're fun. <laughs> they are fun. Um, but before we get started and break it down, guys, have you ever fought a dragon in D anD? d And if so, how'd it go? Let's let's grab dice. Uh, Seven. 12. Uh, 18. You're going first. No, I've never fought a dragon in D&D. No, because you're always a D&D. I'm, you're a I'm, I'm, running, a I'm running the dragon, you but I've never run fought. Run plenty. Yeah. No. I've never fought a dragon. I would love to fight a dragon. Yeah. Did you not fight a Draculich with me? No, because Jamie fought the Draculich while I stood on the side and healed him up. Right. We let the Barbarian do all of the fight. I was technically in initiative, but I never rolled an attack. Yeah. And we got halfway through the fight, and... He turned around and he's like, oh, you know what? We'll be friends. Yeah. But, oh, shit. Okay. Okay. <laughs> cool. I have never fought a dragon. I have confronted a couple, but I have always been way too low of a level to actually... And I've been we've been smart yeah. enough to not try and fight a dragon. Probably with. probably wise. I kicked the shit out of a young white dragon. Um, <laughs> but, uh, and I forget how... I think I just got lucky and like critted a champion fighter, critted on both attacks or, or something. I ended up just doing a shit ton of damage by myself. As this young dragon flew into the barn, I think that we were hiding, and yep. like through, flew through the double doors. You guys set a trap in a barn because you didn't want to fight him out in the blizzard, right? So you guys and went I, into a barn. That's wise. <laughs> yeah, and then got him in there. And as he flew in, you jumped out of nowhere with your glaive, yeah. and just fucking gutted him. Yeah, that's right. So that you had nice. two attacks. It was more luck than skill. It really yeah. was. I mean, my well, skill was I hit it with my glaive. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I, I mean, you had help. You didn't die in the first round, no. but you did by far the most damage in that. Um, that was fun. You also fought 
No, you didn't fight. You sat back and watched everybody else fight because you were being turned to stone at the time. Right. Okay. The, the, there was a there was a blue versus uh, brass dragon. Oh yeah, no. Um, oh, and you guys did fight a green dragon. You fought Excantilus at one point too. Right, right. That's right. So there's you you fought a few dragons, Terry, but they usually ran away or or did shit in front of you. Right. Yeah. Like the the white dragon was the only one I could remember defeating. Yeah. That's, and that's usually the way it is with dragons, right? There's a lot of stat blocks. We'll get into it. There's a lot of them that just fly away at half health. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Okay. They, they're smart enough to know that. Yes. So and that's. <laughs> Good segue. Thank you, Brad. I want to go over what's probably the smartest dragon in D&D lore. And you'd be surprised that it doesn't come from D&D. It comes from Magic the Gathering. So before we start to roll dice and go through all of the ones that are in the adventure modules, I want to talk about Niv-Mazet. So Ravnica, I'm going to give you a quick basic breakdown here because you have to understand the world in order to understand the dragon. Ravnica provides us with ten powerful guilds that rule the plane. And one of them is called the Izzet League. Um... They're all about experimentation, uh, and I, in my head, I always remember that it's the Is It League because I think that they do an experiment and go, "Is it? Is it really?" And <laughs> Terry just rolled his eyes. You guys can't hear it, but there we go. So they do focus on magical experimentation and the harnessing of the elements. It's led by a dragon named Niv Mazet, and he's one of the only two proper dragons in Fifth Edition that isn't given a color. The other being the Jabberwock, which just came out in Wild Beyond the Witchlight. But the Jabberwock is a kind of dragon you can run into many yes. of them. There's only one Niv-Mazet. Sure, he has red scales and fire breath, but he's not technically a red dragon by the standard D&D categorizations, which is a little bit interesting. He is from Magic the Gathering, which means that they've got their own color system and element mm -hmm. system. And while it does still generally follow the same D&D rules, their dragons are just dragons. Yeah. They're not tied uh, inherently to the color um, of their scales. So, Niv-Mazet is gargantuan. He's 15,000 years old, hyper-intelligent, temperamental, and incredibly ambitious. He also gets a stat block for his big old CR-26 self and is meant to be an NPC and a leader of sorcerers and other mages. No one knows his endgame, but he has a lot of projects in the works and he is more concerned with the long game than any immediate gratification. You live for 15,000 years, you're going to look a little longer term. Exactly. He actually has an ideal bond and flaw, which I thought oh, was perfect, and should be fucking included with every NPC in any published book. Yep. Yeah. You get his entire personality in the following three sentences. His ideal. Innovation. Don't just have an idea, have all of them. I like that. Bond. I have spent more than 10,000 years researching the mysteries of the world around me, but there's much more to discover. And flaw... I find it tedious to converse with simpletons who lack vision. Mm. That's everything you need to know about his personality. It didn't take nine paragraphs or a big um, like bio breakdown in the end of a book. Like that's it. Direction for DMs, especially yeah. newer DMs. If even if a, a, a PC asks a question, it's okay. Which do which one of these do I lean into to answer this correctly as the character would? When you're mm -hmm. feeling that pressure, when you're on stage. When you look at the structure of the Ravnica book, I still say it's probably my top three or four publications. Right. At this okay. point, just because of how well it was put together. Niv-Mazet, anyway, is a 20th level spellcaster with heavy hitting spells uh, like Control Weather, Maze, Power Word Stun, and Prismatic Wall. That gives you the impression that he's more focused on defense and living another day than pure destructive power. He also has a crazy ability that allows him to change a spell's damage type to cold, fire, force, 
lightning, or thunder as he sees fit. And it doesn't impact his action economy. He just Ooh. does it at, a, at his own whim. He also gets a legendary action called Dracogenius, which uses all three of his legendary actions to regain a spell slot of third level or lower, which is nuts because he has access to the big scary low-level spells like Magic Missile, Shield, Counterspell, Fireball, and Lightning Bolt. And oh yeah, he can maintain concentration on two spells at once. Wow. Good luck. Other than that, he has all the crazy stats and numbers you'd expect from a CR26 super genius gargantuan dragon creature. He's not just a combat encounter, although he could be. Dragons as spellcasters, look, they're scary as hell, right? And so the thing that I learned about Niv-Mazet, or that I learned about dragons in general, is that when you have a big boss, and he is meant to be the big boss in Ravnica, when you have a creature like this, it's not enough to just give them the big fuck you combat stat block. There are options. Mm -hmm. There are a ton of options, and there is a reason to leave, which means he will always be there in following games as well. You'd be hard-pressed to kill this guy. Yeah, he's going to have some sort of escape plan, some sort of way out yep. in any encounter. You're not going to surprise him at this point. Exactly. But the big thing that I learned was that you don't have to uh, you don't have to stick to the stereotypes. The mm. categorization of red is lawful evil and does this. Brass is, is I think they're chaotic good and they do that. Like, you don't have to stick to that shit. You can just do whatever you want, follow the guidelines, but you're allowed to kind of step outside, which is what this episode is about. We're going to yeah. look at how Wizards of the Coast has stepped outside their own basic breakdowns of how dragons work. So, is there anything plot hook-wise or a lesson that you guys learned from looking at Niv-Mazet and his stat block about running dragons? you want to roll initiative? Sure, sure. Let's do it. <clears throat> I haven't won one of these in a while. 20. <laughs> yeah you and called it, it and right? it continues yeah. so. um i think the biggest thing for me learning this is when you are going big go big right when you're going to make your big bad guy break the rules that's the whole point of having the big bad guy right the moment everyone else that your players are going to face is going to have to follow some rules they're going to follow some sort of stat block rules something like that throw something at them that they're just not going to expect, not going to know how to deal with, and they're not going to have seen before. I don't understand the purpose of CR 21. I get up to CR 20 because your party can only be level 20, so they got to be able mm -hmm. to match it. What the fuck is the CR 21 creature? Oh, it's as good as your party, but a little bit better. Little. They, they can probably fight them. They'll take them. Don't worry about it. Yeah. yeah. What is the point of that? If you're going to go above that level, go to CR 30. Yes. Just make the jump. Make it big, yeah. big. right away. Right? Yeah. So... Like, that's my... I like the CR-26. Like, yes. that's, that feels good to me. I'm glad that the Tarask and, and Tiamat and whatnot are bigger than Niv-Mazet. Mm -hmm. You can take him in a fight. But I feel like Niv-Mazet is almost... He's Ravnica's Asmodeus level intellect of, like, yeah. I am so fucking smart that I have 10,000 contingency plans. And even if you kill me, then my clone in the vat behind is going to activate and come yeah. out anyway. And, yeah. like, you're going to see that kind of shit out of these big high intellect creatures and you really get that feeling from him and i like mm -hmm. the idea of even if you defeat me you haven't defeated me yeah there's right? gonna be yeah so so that's what i was getting out of out of niv mazet is when you are dealing with your big campaign setting i've noticed and you get this in theros and um uh, wild mount and all of them when you get it you always get three or four of these big 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 heavy hitters niv mazet being one of them now these guys are the ones that are supposed to endure and they are world defining yes. you're not meant to kill them 
they will always be an issue in the world, even if you banish them or lock them in one of the nine hells. They're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. They're always going to come back. Yeah. I love these big, super mega um, creatures like this. Uh, but I like to use them where they're useful to the party throughout the campaign, even to the point where the party maybe contributes to their power because you're on their, they're on your team, or at least you have the same enemy. Mm. But then I like the idea that it builds and builds and builds. And then, hey, what happens when you can't turn the supercomputer off? <laughs> or yeah. what happens when this when Skynet decides that you're now the enemy and they're no longer on your team? You have an mm. Ultron. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's and I love that because one PC at a time will start to ask questions all the way through the campaign. Well, what's interesting is um Ravnica and Niv Mazette lean right into that because you are supposed to be a part of one of the ten guilds, and you can choose any of them. So you can choose the Is It League, and they've got a renowned system. Which so there are four different ranks in it. When you get to rank three you are actually on a first-name basis with Niv Mazet. Right. Mm. And he is giving you direct tasks. He's been barking orders from afar this whole time, but now he's like, great, you've stepped up, you're a director now, here you go, I need you to do this. And it's still going to be aligned with whatever quest, because your DM's sure. going to you know, make that parallel. But you are actively working with him, and at no point are you ever going to like double-cross Niv Mazet. He, you can't. he runs a magical experimentation mafia. Yeah. The yeah. fuck are you going to do? Yeah. Right? And yeah. he's 15,000 years. With nine other opposing guilds, he's they've seen it tried. All. Yeah, he's right? seen so, it. Yeah. But everybody's had that day at work where they go, I'm not sure I agree with this decision. Like, you know, yeah. but it's like, mm -hmm. okay, how, how much do you rock the boat yeah. when it's Niv Mazette? You know? Yeah. Hey, guys. I want to take a quick second to stop everything and ask, how are your balls? Are they nestled in a dense forest of man-stank? Are they stubbly and irritated like Terry's personality most of the time? Are they covered in nicks and scrapes and are too tender to even the tenderest touch? Whether they are bound in a cotton prison of hellish aromas or swinging free and battering against a rough and angry wall of denim, I think it's clear that you could be nicer to your manly bits. And that's where Manscaped.com comes in. Their website has a number of amazing products for all of your testicular needs. Okay, well, not, not all of your testicular needs, but definitely the grooming ones. You see, you can go right now and jump onto their website and peruse their catalog, or you can trust me, your dear friend and apparently advocate for balls everywhere. You see, Manscaped has supported It's a Mimic because they believe in us, and we believe in them. They sent Dan, Terry, and I the Performance Package 4.0, which includes their ear and nose hair trimmer, which is called the Weed Whacker, their anti-chafing deodorant, their ball spray toner, some disposable shaving mats to lay out under your work zone while you shave, and the Lawnmower 4.0, which is the single best razor I've ever used on my precious gems or anywhere else. It reduces cuts with its skin-safe technology, it has a spotlight to help with visibility where the sun don't shine, and it's waterproof. So you can use it for minor touch-ups right in the shower if you want. But the Performance Package also offers a really snazzy travel bag and a pair of anti-chafing boxers to help things, you know, to feel great. And of course, if you use the promo code ITSAMIMIC21, that's ITSAMIMIC21, all one word, if you do it before December 15th, then you can get 20% off and free worldwide shipping. So for the love of your balls and anyone who may have the occasion to behold them during the holiday season, do yourself a favor and order the Performance Package 4.0 now.
I remember the first time I tried to clean up the old basement, and let me tell you something, one very tender young man with a secret shame walked around with hot wax strips glued to his nethers for about three days because he tried a little hair removal without knowing what the fuck he was doing. And he gave up about a third of the way through and lived a sticky, pube-pulling life for about half a week. It was beyond miserable, and running, biking, and swimming were absolutely out of the question. If I had known then about the Lawnmower 4.0 or the pampering products at Manscaped.com, I would have saved myself a lot of effort, pain, embarrassment, and, and awkward limping. So learn from my mistakes. Don't settle for an inferior product or a jungle in need of a proper bushwhacking. Get the Lawnmower 4.0 and the rest of the Performance Package 4.0 at manscaped.com. You can use promo code ITSAMIMIC21 for 20% off and free shipping before December 15th. You can check the show notes below. Your balls will thank you. Okay, so we've got uh, 29. No, 29. With Nip oh, Mazette, right. I, got I guess we're adding the extras, yeah. yeah. So we have 29 dragons to go through today. So let's grab our dice and roll initiative and just launch right into them. All right, let's we're going to start with the big guy. Terry. Terry, I'm going you first. Did it. I didn't want to go first on this one. When I said that last time, it's okay. <laughs> so let's start with the big guys. We'll work our way down to kind of the oddballs. But these are all or not all, the mass majority of the named dragons in the Dungeons & Dragons uh, publications that have come out up to, but not including, because I haven't looked into it yet, The Wild Beyond the Witchlight. So, all of the publications up till this point, if there are a whole bunch more dragons in three or four years, we'll do a sequel to this and we'll make other people prep it, because this was a lot of work. I'm not doing it. <laughs> <laughs> all right, uh, Terry, you're first. I'm going last with a 14. Yeah, oh, I was not paying attention. Okay, okay, I'll open up the dragon discussion with the ancient red dragon known as Clouth. 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 Oh, I, I, I Clouth of the list. I let, that's what I led into the German pronunciation. Clouth. Uh, Mike Tyson saying Clouth. Yeah, Clouth. Yeah. <laughs> an ancient red dragon. I don't have an exact age for Clouth, but Clouth was quoted as saying, I am old. I am as old as time itself. The infinite wisdom of eternity is mine to command. Um, and, for, and for such an active drag, dragon as his age, he was actually able to live longer than he normally would by doing some sort of crazy things with dragon eggs to increase his size, his health, and his vigor. Uh, you can you can run into Clouth in Storm King's Thunder, and Clouth has a has a lair in the northern area of the Sword Coast in a place called Clouthen Vale. He uh, named it after himself. He named it yeah. as, as all the best. Of course, he did. called he's big an, egos. Right, he's like, an ancient the, red. Like, of course, he did. As all the as all the greatest uh, greatest big bads do, like and the they're Trump in the, Tower. They're mountains west of Mirabai. <laughs> 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 exactly. exactly. Um, he's also known as Old Snarl. And Old Snarl is known for using his scrying spells and abilities to learn as much as possible about the other inhabitants of the Sword Coast. Um, so this means he's rarely caught off guard. Cloud has been attacked and, uh, and and an attempt to defeat Cloud has been done, but it's been done by multiple dragons at once. I believe it was two white dragons and a blue dragon, who are named dragons, uh, attempted to kill Cloud at the same time. And he managed to uh, to get rid of them. So he is, uh, he's incredibly powerful. Something interesting about Clouth is he is not against acts of generosity if he does huh. not deem you to be a threat. Mm. And if you're a smart PC, which none of us are, 
<laughs> you would pick up on this as as long as Clout is being nice to you and even giving you gifts, even magic items. That means he does not he does not deem you to be a threat. If that generosity starts to reduce and the tone starts to change, mm. you should even not necessarily going to negative yet, but that generosity is being removed. That should be a huge sign to you that things are not going as planned for you. When you don't get the Christmas bonus from him, it's time to fucking run. Yeah, that's exactly. It. And then there's no explanation. That's yeah. it. Hey, Cloud, how's it going? Fine. Okay, is Cloud uh, acting different today? Yeah, January second. I'm time looking for work. Yeah. Time to go. Yeah, Cloud <laughs> actually has a pair of magical wands as well. I believe he has. Uh, I think it's fireball and lightning bolt or something like that. Um, and he fireball can actually and lightning. Very very frightening. He, in a, exactly that. In a single action, he can use them both as well Ooh, at the same time he nice. does have innate spell casting he has a whole bunch of spells uh, you guys should look into uh but he is a, an incredibly powerful ancient dragon that uh, i feel essentially gives you permission to add backstories and flavor to those uh, those bare bones dragons that you see in the player's handbook yeah. yeah and you know dan always ran some bitches his number one complaint is that dragons don't have spell casting Mm-hmm. Like standard. well, this one does. Yeah. Well, and, and most, most of them the ones we're going to today, which is one of the things that they always add on, yes. and yet it's not part of the standard. Is that because they want different spells? And if that's the case, why not just say choose from the wizard spell list, yes. right, or whatever, like they do for bards? Or you have to play the percentages in this game, and you have to understand that the fact that this game is growing in popularity so quickly, I would say. 70% of the players right now don't know what they have permission in quotes to yeah. do with mm-hmm. creatures, uh, which is why you should listen to the It's Amendment podcast. But uh, so they need to be more clear with that in the in the. Uh, I mean, the book. dragons were introduced early, right? I don't think the edition was still defining itself. And as they started to release, because the dragon template, as we would call it, came out well before any of these books did, right? Or just before. Well, I mean, the Monster Manual was, I believe, the second book published. Right, exactly. So at that point, they were still figuring out who these dragons were. So re- of course they didn't do that. I think we're going to see more of that in Fizzbands. Yeah. I think that's going to kind of give us how to create a dragon. Yeah. The, how to make your dragon. The <laughs> the other thing um, that I take from this is if you don't want to do the homework on how to build a spellcaster and put it on top of a dragon, give them wands Yes. And don't worry about it. Yeah. It's just that easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. How does a dragon hold a wand in its dragon form? Uh, it's, in its massive claws. I'm, I'm assuming it can hold a fistful of like 40 wands. Just just shake say, a fist does, and everything. How, but goes. how does it hold one wand? Well, Itty bitty clawed, like just <laughs> just very genteel. Just little tiny Trump hands. Yeah. But that's the only part that doesn't change. It's yeah. just the hands at the end. <laughs> that's awesome. All right, let's keep this ball going. Um, We're going to say a lot of dragon names. There's going to be some mistakes made, but I think I'm okay with this one. Imrith is the one that I'm covering first here, also out of Storm King's Thunder. And Imrith is an ancient blue dragon. Love an ancient blue. Um, She is known as the Doom of the Desert and is the final encounter of the module. She is your final... I mean, they give you options to go on after, but as far as written content in the book, this is the last... Yeah, this is the big bad. This is the big bad. So, uh, she has the ability to shapeshift, not into a human form, but into a storm giant form. So, we talked earlier about how we were going to cover some spoilers for Storm King's Thunder. Here there they it are. Is. That's Here it is. Them, this yeah. is the big one. Um, she used this ability to transform in order to basically deceive the king's daughter and work her way into the ranks of the, dra- of the giants. The Storm King himself. The Storm King himself. Yeah. She was in his inner circle and manipulating what was going on. This is why she's the big bad. Uh, she, this ability to shape change into a giant form has probably the most interesting lore aspect, in my opinion. 
right? You have so many dragons, especially your chromatics, that shape, well, only your chromatics, which is annoying. We'll get into that. But your chromatics that all shapeshift into a human form, right? Generally speaking, as far no, as... No, it's all it's only the metallics that can. Is it Sorry, only the metallics. Yes, my apologies. Backwards. Yeah. So here we have a... Chromatic. Chromatic can... who can shapeshift not into a human form, but into a giant form, which I think is really cool. The other thing that stands out about her is the fact that she's allied with Yuan-T. And there's a Yuan-T cult that is operating within her lair to summon Dendar the Night Serpent, who is the goddess of the night and darkness. Yeah. Right? We've covered that in a Yuan-T episode. If you want more yep. information, check out the Yuan-T episode. Um, but yeah, so they have actually been manipulating her and, uh, Dendar as well has been manipulating her because she basically is in fear of the giants. So in that fear, in order to try and get more power, she's trying to make a deal with Dendar, but Dendar is just like, nah, screw it. I'm just using you to get to my own ends. Sure. I I like the fact that even ancient dragons can be manipulated by the gods. The gods are still another tier up and yeah. above, right? Absolutely. And even, I mean, when you fight Tiamat, who's a CR30, that is the Avatar. That's not Tiamat herself. Like, Correct. We still don't have a proper god stat block. We only yeah. have avatars of them. And some of them are kind of weak and shitty, like Oriel, yeah. the Frost Maiden, yes. right? So um, it's it's neat to see this. Mm-hmm. It's neat to know that your big bad evil guy is still just the the shredder to Krang. Yes. Krang in the background of the techno drama. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like these, yeah, these ancient bit, they, they're scary, but there's much scarier out there. Um, another little fun fact about her is she collects baby uh, purple worms for fun and raises them. <laughs> as, a, a little, as a little glass bar? Yeah, little, uh, basically it's a pit. And oh. so she collects the eggs, puts them in the pit, hatches them, and she uses them basically like a pit trap. So if you happen to wander into the pit, the purple wormlings are going to devour you. Oh, they have a Tremors vibe there. Yeah. Things you can do. Pretty fun. Uh, She makes her home in an abandoned uh, dwarven amphitheater. That's her lair. Okay. It's a pretty cool spot. Um, Now, mechanically speaking, she's not that interesting. She's got your basic blue, ancient blue dragon stat block. Uh, Her shape changing is fun enough. Her shape changing is, that's really the big one. Um, And the other thing we talked about earlier, innate spell casting, she gets it. I think... Are there any exceptions? Every dragon I've covering today has charisma as their casting stat. Yeah, me Have you too. found any exceptions? Me too. It was all charisma. I believe that Niv Mazet was intelligence. Okay. Right. But any of the rest, I think they're I think mostly most charisma. That's are, where they yeah. tend to go. Um, and so with that, she can cast... Uh, she only has one spell, but it's stone shape. But instead of standard stone shape, she actually turns you, uh, the stone into living gargoyles. Okay. Sure. So, that was... so she can create just gargoyles out of stone. Correct. That's, that's kind of fucking nutty. Yeah, it's... Very and quite powerful. That right there for me is like because gargoyles are weirdly powerful, yes. like surprisingly so. Yeah. So uh, having them pop up mid tier two and be a consistent issue before you fight her in my home. Yes. Like if I were going to use. Oh her yeah, you're going to have this. Be a gargoyles thing. are going to be a big thing for a long time. For yeah. Her. Purple worms too. Like yeah, it's cool that you get some themes that don't seem connected at first. Until yeah, I was trying to think how I would connect them. How I you know for. Typically a desert-dwelling dragon that's yeah. now linked with giants and gargoyles. And so, yeah. Especially with the with the polymorph, you could have it like, oh, there's there's the the queen that uh, that raises purple worms over in the distant kingdom. And everyone's like, oh, we're going to meet this queen someday. Not realizing that it's also the guy with all the gargoyles and the dragon. And yeah, the it's storm, the same right? person. It's all yeah. the same person. Yeah. Uh, the other one other cool thing I want to cover with her is just her um, horde. Because she buries it in sarcophaguses under the sand. Sarcophagi, sorry, my apologies. Sarcophagi yep. under the sand. But they're actually protected by magic that you, basically, warding magic. You can't see them. You don't know they're there unless you bump into them. And inside of that, that's where she keeps her treasure. But it's also guarded by 
for storm elementals. Nice. Storm. Or sorry, wind wind elementals. Wind, sorry. Okay. Wind elementals. Sorry, so basically, storm elementals existed do, in, in yeah. fourth edition. They don't in fifth. Oh, so right. okay. Yeah. okay. But yeah, so no wind elementals. But they use the coin. They bring the coins into them. So they have like this extra bludgeoning damage. Oh, that's oh, that's it. cool. I like that. So yeah, there's a lot to be inspired by just reading her little bit. Absolutely. Right yeah. Okay, so mine is. I took I took all the really hard names for myself. I, I tried to anyway, so bear with me. These are made up fucking garbage words, but here we go. This one actually sounds like a garbage disposal. It is Karketh Zorethzorus, the sable dis uh, the disabled no <laughs> the sable despoiler. Okay, it's that big thing on the back of the car to keep them down. Yeah, uh, Karketh Zorethzorus. It's a is, sable with a spoiler. Got it. Nope, is an ancient silver shadow dragon who's essentially name dropped. Mm. In Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, but barely supported outside of their own two paragraphs. There's no stat block, so you have to use the Silver Dragon stats with the Shadow Dragon template from the Monster Manual. He used to want to protect the forest that he shared with a nation of refugee wood elves and other woodland creatures, but of course Shadow Dragon, he got corrupted and yeah. fell and now he wants to destroy it all. So... Now, the woodland is petrified, and beings from the Shadowfell enter the world with increasing frequency. His lair is hidden, his goals are unknown, and he seems to know the secret locations of the weak spots in reality where the Shadowfell bleeds through. Interesting sidebar, the word sable, as in the sable destroyer, is a bit of a play on words here. Sable is another word for the color black, meaning the name and title are Karketh Zarethzerus, the black despoiler, which... When he got, when he fell, mm -hmm. I mean, Shadow Dragon's black, yeah, right? Black. So that's cool. Um, it gives kind of the idea of the physical corruption of a silver dragon, basically confirming that he's black in color. So, but it's part of his his title and his name. So it's like he is so dark and black that like <laughs> he's, he would disappear in the night sky almost, right? right. Like, yeah. That alone gives me inspiration. But a sable is also a kind of small woodland critter. Like yes. A, like a weasel. Like a weasel, yeah. And... He's corrupted the woodland, so I assume that he's corrupted some of them and they're spies and, and slaves mm. and, you know, soldiers and whatnot. So he has despoiled the sables as well. So, <laughs> I don't know. I, I, I thought the name was kind of funny. That's some fucking Mercer-level shit going on there. One of the things that I love about Karketh, which I didn't really realize during the episode on Shadow Dragons, is that you get to finally, in canon by the rules... Get a metallic dragon um, who, who can who can polymorph normally, right? But mm -hmm. none of the chromatics can. So you can't get an evil dragon to polymorph. But if a metallic dragon falls, falls to the shadow fell, they can still polymorph. Then now you have an evil polymorphing dragon. Oh, by mm -hmm. rules is written. Yeah, by yeah, rules yeah. is written. So that I thought was a neat little technicality. That's the only way that I found that you can do it without just homebrewing your own it. stupid shit. Yeah. yeah. So um, the biggest inspiration I got from. Karketh Zarethzerus, which is the most Dan fucking name for a dragon out of all... I hate it. Yeah, me too. Uh, Even as a shadow dragon, the silver dragon is still annoying me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, the biggest inspiration I got from him is that um, dragon protectors with the best intentions are still incredibly fallible. Yes. So, we talked in the silver dragon episode about how silver dragons are the paragons of good... And they might even have like an exclusive, do you remember this, Terry, the VIP only section on the top of the mountain. You have to be so good in order to get in. But what you keep, what you get in, you can never leave and all that. And then the Shadowfell corrupted him. Where he he did exactly that on his little peninsula. 
and let all of these displaced wood elf refugees in and said, I've created paradise, then got corrupted and turned it to shit, which is even more tragic. Like, I like him because we saw a silver dragon fall and that kind of shit makes Dan upset. What what I will say is to me, uh, silver dragons would seem to me actually some of the most prone to this. Because they're so proud of their goodness. That, that, that was our is, argument. And yeah. Dan was like, no, no, no. They're so good that they don't even have pride. Oh, that they're... Nah. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> yeah, nah, he tweaked it. Thanks, Brad. Nah, he tweaked it. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> All right. Let's uh, let's roll again for the next... Brad was like, ah, oh, no, yeah, no. I've never seen you so sure of anything. <laughs> nah. All right. Let's roll again. All right. Let's do it. Oh, that's an at one for me. 17. All right, I'm a 10. Terry, what do you got for round two? Oh, let Two me. in a row, by the way, there, Terry. I know, I know. You just got to complain a little bit. I have often. this one written out phonetically. I've done that twice in mine as well. Okay, my next dragon, and I'll try and get this correctly, is Cloggy Liumatar. Cloggy Liumatar? Sure. Who is... No, I'm not going to correct you. <laughs> a uh, female green dragon, I believe is adult. I forgot to write it down here, but I believe is adult. Um, who tried to influence the politics of, of um, Waterdeep and Neverwinter through her own criminal gang. And Clog, as I'll call her, was always fascinated by powerful elven and human females and the spells that transformed dragons into humans. Her main aspiration was to be one of those powerful women living in the hustle and bustle of the city, very sex in the city all of a sudden. However, finding a way in which to do so without risking her safety proved uh, quite problematic. Uh, ancient green dragon I just read here. And you can find uh, Clog in Storm King's Thunder. What I like about this dragon is that if the PCs learn to avoid always fighting dragons, Clog is actually a key source of information within this adventure, within Storm King's Thunder. She's actually also a great representation of a strong female character, I thought. Mm. I really leant into that. I, I could see what this dragon was supposed to represent in trying to uh, in trying to bring more inclusion, trying to bring more women into the game. And I thought that was a great representation representation of that. Also to be used in a way that was not combat. Is is to help the mm-hmm. the PCs realize that dragons can be used in a different And even way. as an evil dragon too, which is yes. fun to see. Yeah, exactly that. Exactly that. So I want to talk to you about something um particularly uh, devious that uh, the the clog did. So I'll try and get this story right. So Clog disguised herself. There was a bounty out to kill her. She disguised herself, I believe, as a silver dragon to go mm. to the person that issued the bounty to tell them that she would go and kill herself, to which they did not know. Went away, put on this big show, which was kind of, if you can imagine yourself, like Johnny English style behind the curtain of the mm-hmm. shower, like, ah, ah, like coming in and out of the mountain. Looked wounded stole the money that was supposed to be given as the reward, went back, asked for the reward. They didn't have it because she'd already stolen it, but they didn't know. Then said that she now wants a ship full of money instead or some other treasures. (laughs) Went back, demanded double the reward, and it just like snowballed into this huge (laughs) thing, and they just didn't know. And I thought that's so Green Dragon. Yeah. That's 100%. brutal. And that is because... I'll be the first to say it. Women are smarter than men and would think like that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. We don't think like that. No. We're just like, there's a bounty. Excellent. Let's go and get the bounty. Mm-hmm. The only way uh, through brute strength. That's all we do. But that 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 is clog of blah, blah, blah. And uh, yeah, I thought she was great. I thought she was great. That's really clever. Strong, brilliant woman. You don't even bother to learn her name. Typical man. <laughs> 
Don't put that on me. <laughs> so the internet's already coming at me. I know. There's going to be 23 DMs tomorrow that I'll ignore. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I I think I think That's I'm at send on. noobs DND. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. No one's checking that. No one's checking that. All right. Uh, mine is actually another strong female dragon um, who is Bernie the Barber from Baldur's Gate Descent into Avernus. Um, Bernie the Barber is an ancient copper dragon named Balarastool from Baldur's Gate. Um, she masquerades as a cheerful, tidy human woman who comes from the Kalimshan region of the Forgotten Realms. Translated into the real world, she presents herself as a vaguely Arabian woman who is neat, helpful, and knowledgeable. Cool. She offers regular barber services for one gold piece and will provide medical services with a healer's kit and herbalism kit and sometimes even magic free of cost because yeah. she's just good like that. Isn't a gold piece a little expensive for a barber? For a haircut? Yeah. I don't think that there are many people. I mean, it's medieval times. Who was cutting their hair regularly? Yeah, I guess so. It's, I only use gold in my games. I'm not <laughs> sometimes silver. I'm not messing around with copper or anything like that. Every beer is a gold piece. <laughs> so, um, while she does her work, she entertains her customers with fanciful and often fictional stories. Copper dragon, that makes mm -hmm. sense. For good customers who are open to her, she can even provide small quests. But don't try to pay her with a soul coin because she will get very disappointed and she will change her opinion of you. And she's not even going to touch the soul coin. She doesn't want any part of that shit. In reality, though, she is operating directly for Bahamut as a spy who is keeping a watchful eye out for the followers of Tiamat in Avernus. That's, that's important cool. because that's where Tiamat is actually imprisoned. Right. Mm -hmm. Some interesting blessings that she's received directly from Bahamut are that creatures uh, who take three or more steps away from her can no longer remember her or what their interaction was unless she wills them to. Oh, wow. Another one is that she's permanently under the effects of the mind blank spell, which means she can't be detected by magical or mundane means unless she wants to. Mm -hmm. She cannot take actions against the inhabitants of the Nine Hells herself, but she is allowed to coerce others to operate on her behalf. And she always knows the location of the Wandering Emporium, which is a wandering marketplace on the back of multiple, many, massive, ever-moving infernal war machines that cross Avernus seemingly at random. That's a big deal. Yeah, so there's just like a bunch of these huge machines with a market on the top, and she's in there, you know, offering her services. She doesn't just know where it is at all times, though. She can also teleport there on a whim and shows up ready to do business most mornings. Once per day, she can also teleport herself to the court of Bahamut via a powerful blessing that is similar to the plane shift spell. Honestly, I thought there was a lot of fun roleplay opportunity here for her. But the two biggest things that I learned from researching Bernie the Barber are that A... Bahamut is directly involved in hunting down and squashing out enemy forces, like a general overseeing a division of spies, and I think that's badass. Yeah, yeah, very much so. And B, dragons make amazing fucking spies. Well, yeah, metallics, right? anyways. Well, come on, a green dragon is going to be a, a, a yeah. blue dragon. It never occurred to me to have a dragon be a spy, but come on. Mm -hmm. I think there's an opportunity with this NPC for like some Harry Potter level tragedy at the end. Because that is the one of the bravest jobs you can ever have. Absolutely. Is to, oh, yeah. be, is to be amongst the enemy like that. But right also, at the end they're going to die. You just got my mind racing with inspiration for what would happen to you, even as a dragon, if you are constantly under the effect of a spell. 
if you're constantly on, and I would maybe show like signs of dementia or Alzheimer's forgetfulness or something like that, little hints. That but, this... but but these are not spells, right? These are blessings from Bahamut. So there's not going to be a downside. Normally, I think yeah. you're right. But yeah. for her specifically, yeah. she's just able to maintain her perky copper dragon perspective on the world because she's there with a righteous mission and and she's legitimately helping people. Yeah, Yeah, I love it. Yeah, yeah to be a dragon like that living in Avernus is going to do you some harm if you don't have some sort of protection. Absolutely. Yeah. All right. I am going to cover Thembershod or Ember Chad. <laughs> no, Thembershod. I already don't like Ember Chad. <laughs> uh, he's an adult red dragon found in the Out of the Abyss books. He is also known as the Wormsmith. He is responsible for keeping the forges burning in the Dwergar city of Gracklestug. Gracklestug? I don't know. Uh, I don't know. Dwergar frustrates me at yeah. the best of times. Anyways, so his so-called caretakers are called the Keepers of the Flame. And in return for keeping the forges burning, they bring him gifts such as meals, treasure, gold, coin. So basically, he runs their forges, he keeps them hot, and they reward him. What but, kind of what kind of dragon is he? He is an adult red. Okay, so fire. So yeah, fire. Gotcha. Yeah, right. Makes sense. Um, now here's the thing: these psionic clerics, right? Because they're Durgar. Yeah, they are right. Obviously, mind controlling this adult or working to manipulate the mind of this adult red dragon. He's starting to kind of put the pieces together. Okay. He's kind of starting to realize just how big and bad and important he is, and realizing these gifts are like a paltry sum compared to what he should be getting. So he's basically looking for a way out. He's plotting. He's waiting. He's a red. He's still smart enough to know. That said, they also keep him fattened up and plumped. So he's a he's a little out of shape. He's a little little on the heavier side. So he hasn't done any fighting, right? So he's okay. not. Yeah, yeah. He's, he's not physically strong like you would normally expect a red dragon to be. He's not going to be. I mean, he's still a red dragon, but he doesn't know his capabilities. He's not the apex. He's no. not an alpha red dragon. So he's so he's looking for a way out. Um, yeah. That said. The uh, Durgar are also waiting for an opportunity to kill him because they they have another egg that they're waiting to hatch. Yeah, I love these chess matches happening right? around dragons. Yeah. So they just know that okay, this guy's eventually going to get big enough and strong enough that he's going to figure out that he can take us all on. So before he gets to that point, we're going to have to off him and make sure we have another one ready to keep the forges burning. Right. So there's a lot more of the story, but it's not necessarily related to him. But that's that's the part you need to know as far as Ember Chad or Thembershod is Thembershod. For me, the role-playing opportunity here is the concept of actually keeping a dragon as, like, an indentured servant or as, right? With their ego, you just got to keep paying them and keep them thinking that they're important. But you can actually manipulate them into doing your bidding, especially if you've had them since they were wormling. I would say the only ones that you would not be able to thoroughly manipulate would be gold. Good luck. You're going to have trouble with that. And then green, you're gonna have difficulty with, and I'd say even blue. But blue seems to be the most like self-aware of all of them. Yeah, I that's guess we true. can talk about nature versus nurture in that case too, though, right? If you're managing to get them from a whirling and to at least keep them the information that they're fed, as far as they know, especially if they're isolated from the rest of the world doing a task for you, and you're telling them that they're the biggest, greatest, they can see that they're more powerful. But as far as they know, there's no other world. You could probably keep it going at least for a little while. And yeah. so I really like that idea of what happens when you get a wormling egg. Or, you know, a dragon egg, you hatch it. What do you do with that wormling? So I think this kind of gives you First an example. First you put on your things. of gloves. Yeah, of course. Right. Yeah, yeah. you don't want to get burnt. But yeah, so that, that's kind of what I pulled out of that, um, right? How long can you actually keep a dra- a wormling or a dragon under your control before it eventually realizes that it's 
it's bigger and better than you. I love putting dragon eggs in all of my campaigns yeah. to find out what everybody's going to do. But the problem is I never get the dragon beyond wormling status to find out what happens. Because mm. they live too fucking long to do that. Yeah. I need to start having time vortexes and shit. Yeah. Just so I can watch watch the dragon. Well, you, can, you play with time play quite well between campaigns. Yeah. I think you could move that character, that dragon character, as you go into the future and you move around. And you could have it present elsewhere. Yeah, I have multiple campaigns going, so I could do that. But yeah. I really want to see, like, I raised this from a wormling to an adult. Yeah, you, need, you need one of those 30-year um, campaigns. Uh, yeah, unless you're one of those elves, you're not going yes, to do that. Correct. So. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's kind of role-playing. And then mechanically, there's really nothing special about him. He is just a standard adult red dragon. We do get that um, sometimes. He doesn't... In fact, I would even rule that he doesn't get lair actions. It's not really his lair? No, it's not his lair. Uh, it doesn't specifically say that in the book, which I found surprising. But I think if I was running that, I would not count it as a lair for him. I would I would do lair actions, but only out of the way of keeping it interesting. But I would maybe adjust them. Mm-hmm. Just have some quirky things happening. Certainly not regional effects. No. Because he's not in control of the region. That's right. Yeah, yeah so that's, that's number two. An interesting character, but... Uh, Really, there's not that much about him in the books. I do like the idea of of capturing and and coercing a mm-hmm. dragon. We're going to see that again. As they yes. get weaker and weaker, there are more people trying to control dragons yeah. as well. Mm-hmm. Let's grab dice and roll again. Sure. Run to the next round. Come on, Gom, run the next one. Five. Five. Thirteen. All right, Lucky Terry, 13. roll off. One. Seven. All right, so, Brad, you're first. All right, so we're going to go to Ashtirinthor. Of course we so, are. So, of course we are. Another adult red dragon. I got two in a row. Lucky me. Um, <laughs> Ashtirathor, though, is found in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. And you could call her the mother of dragons. Well, well, don't. Uh, we well, already have three mothers of dragons. We have literally Tiamat. We have yes. literally Khaleesi. We have literally Pepperina. So, right. Oh, true. All right. Well, I'll explain why. We a fight out of those three. Pepperina. <laughs> that for sure. For sure. The other two would be deaf by the end of this. <laughs> Dragon. <laughs> That's right, Peps. Come at me. Dragon. How did you get a, a Y in the word dragon? Ask the Midwest. Ask yeah. the Midwest. Anyways, so Ashtarathor is the mother of six young red dragons. Oh, shit. And so I've got six more names for you. Are you ready? Uh, no, but hit me. God. Are you ready? Ashranthrax. Of course. Um, hold on. Blazteronk. Infernexus. Meteor Anzine. Smoke Kant and Zolchars. They all have fire no, things. A red in dragon the name. named Smoke Kant. I know, right? <laughs> Alright, so this is interesting. Here's where it gets really interesting though. Her home is in the Crystal Labyrinth, which is a hollowed o- hollowed out asteroid, which she shares with the Githyanki. Okay, fine. Do it's, they it, do they willingly share it with this, her? Yes, this is Dungeon of the Mad Mage. Okay, okay. Right? Yeah, which There's, is almost a fun house dungeon. I'll yes, it. it really it, is. It's supposed to have the next, every level is weirder than the one before. So. Yeah, it just keeps getting weirder. So yeah, this is, there's a portal here that takes you to this hollowed out asteroid that the Githyanki are using as base of operations. Okay. And Ashtirinor just tends to also make her home there with her six children. Okay. <laughs> All right. So she, you'll see her, depending on how well you navigate it, you could see her flying around because she tends to... Circle around, check in on her lair, and then just fly a lap to this asteroid. Well, and it is all underground, too. Yes, it is, technically. But I mean, also being out uh, surrounding gigantic, the moon. Well, yes. gigantic 
chasms, but yes. like it's, it's a, too stressful. Yeah, I like a well swept stones floor. <laughs> I, I my D and D. You should talk to Dave. He's running Mad Mage right now. He has no idea this shit is coming. He's like yeah. level six <laughs> or seven. I this and this is sixteen, I think, or seventeen, somewhere in that yeah. range. So he's got a ways to go. Um. Anyway, so the fact that she made her, her home on a Hollywood asteroid is already a cool. I mean, again, this is something that you can really only do in Dungeon the Mad Mage, or you're doing some sort of spell jammer or weird no, gift, no, like you plane get enough, hopping. You get enough weird um, freaking mind flayer shit going on too. Yeah, like, you can. There's space. There is space. There is space. There, is, there are stars, and there is ways to navigate it based on yeah. planar hopping and teleportation and things like that. Yeah, that's out there. But the concept of a dragon living on an asteroid is just very cool. Yeah. To me, like this, this is obviously the most standout point of this dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, everything else, she's a standard red dragon. I mean, she has these children, which is interesting as well. And so you're going to have dynamics of the children in fighting. There's one child who obviously is way on the outs and wants to rule the roost. Mm. Um, so you're going to have that court sort of dynamic. But as far as Ashthirinor is concerned, she is the mother. She is the big, the big force to be reckoned with on this asteroid. So. Um, there isn't a ton of information on the backstory, how she got there, why she's there. Well, that's Mad Mage for right? you. Just, yeah. It's here. Yeah. This is how it interacts with, with, with the world. Yeah. It's got a nice little niche carved out, but Exactly. So I'm a little disappointed because one, you're not going to get a backstory. Two, you're not really going to find out what... Because the most interesting part about this is the dynamic of having seven red dragons... A mother and her six children stuck on an asteroid. You've always wanted to do a dragon hunting campaign? Yeah. There you go. Go yeah. go, baby killing red dragons. That's... <laughs> sure. Yeah. But yeah, the dynamic about that, I'd like to see more of that flushed out. But the nature of Mad Mage is you come in, you get your job done, you're out, you're on to the next level. Right? Yeah. If you survive. Um, and yeah, so uh, mechanically speaking, the only thing that she has that a standard adult red dragon doesn't have is she does get innate spell casting. Mm-hmm. And the spell choice here is really interesting. Alarm, as a dragon, why wouldn't you want alarm? Well, for her children, like yeah, the, exactly. the hatchery, right? Yeah, and your horde as well, right? Combination of the two. Any dragon would want to have it, but especially her. Her hatchery, she'd want to protect. She's got six children, but yeah. I wouldn't say that. She gets uh, detect <laughs> She gets detect magic. Yeah. Gaseous form. Mm-hmm. Imagine a dragon being able to take a gaseous form. She's not the only one. That, um, yeah. Niv-Mazette had that as well. Yeah, there will get a few, I think. Um, Misty Step. Yep. And Pass Wall. This is so, because she's indoors, yes, right? Exactly. They, they need to make her scarier that she can just fly through a fucking wall. Yeah. Yeah, but very cool spell selection as far as that's concerned. Again, charisma being the stat. So the ability to kind of manipulate, move around the battlefield, control the battlefield, I think that's a really interesting. And I think more dragons should be doing that, especially as they get older. They're going to understand the importance of it. Mm-hmm. God help the party that goes up against all the dragons at once. <laughs> Someone will try it. Even if they're wormlings, that is a lot of breath weapons. Yes. Two of them are activating every round. Absolutely. Yeah, Yeah, to try and take on all seven. And you're going to be, I mean, you're 16th level of the Mad Mage, so you're probably between level 14 and 17, depending on your, um, I don't know, I haven't read it, but Uh, I know how long the adventure is. It was recommending about 14. No, there you go. That's that's a tough fight. Yes, big fight. Uh, You're not really designed to fight, I mean, like most dragon encounters in modules, there's you, always a way to not fight. Have you met players? Of have course. Have you met players? That's what I was going to yes. say, right? So they will fight the red dragon. That said, as a player, whenever I say dragon, I'm, I my first thought is always, how can I do this without combat? Because Really? Yes. I've sell never tried the, that. Sell the bard. Yeah. <laughs> I'm always happy with a sell the bard tactic. <laughs> You've heard of sell swords? <laughs> sell bards. That's kind of sell sword. Oh. Um, okay. 
All right, so mine is also from the Dungeon of the Mad Mage as well. Uh, Voltagar Steel Shadow is a cowardly Duragar Archmage from Waterdeep. I bet you were not expecting me to say that. No. Um, he has a pet golem and a faltering grip on a Duragar iron mine deep in Undermountain. It's not out of the question that he might strike a deal with the adventuring party for safe passage through his realm, but no one gives a shit this is a dragon episode. Mm -hmm. What people do give a shit about is his bitch of a wife, Stalagma Steel Shadow, who is a motherfucking adult, wait for it, Steel Dragon. A canonized Steel Dragon. Yes. So is she technically metallic then? Uh, It does not get into it, but I would hazard to say yes. Yeah. So... This is the only reference to Steel Dragons anywhere in 5th edition that I could find. They're not even listed in the upcoming Fizzbands release, as far as I've been able to find. And I've, I've got my inside sources, and I haven't seen anything but Steel Dragons. Stalagma is masquerading as a Duragar that rides a Gorgon, which is one of those mm-hmm. metal bulls that breathe paralyzing breath that all of my players fucking hate. Because I use them I too often. I was just thinking. I remembered fighting one of those. Yeah. I fucking hate yeah. it. Uh, Voltigar is the only one who knows her true identity, and everyone else fears her intensely. And they don't even know the half of it. No, they don't. She commands three Zorn. She oversees all of the miners, and she has a bunch of the Durgar racial traits while she's in Durgar form, including Durgar resilience and the ability to enlarge or become invisible. If her Gorgon is killed or she is reduced to half of her maximum hit points, she changes into the Steel Dragon form, which uses the Silver Dragon stat block with three major changes. One is, she's lawful evil. Two is, she speaks Draconic, Dwarvish, and Terran, but not common. And three is, her breath weapon is a 60-foot line of acid. Love it. Cool. I don't think I need to tell you what my favorite piece of inspiration for her is. It's it's not it's not the Steel Dragon thing. No. It's, it's clearly the fact that a dragon married a humanoid. Yep. I... I I was about to do that in one of my campaigns with, with Jamie, um, but then the dragon was slaughtered mercilessly before Jamie's eyes. But it was really cool to have a dragon not just seduced by a horny bard, but actually choosing to live as a spouse of a humanoid who's fairly mundane in the grand scheme of things. This mm-hmm. dude just runs an iron mine and she's And he knows that she's a dragon? Yeah. yeah. I couldn't do it, man. <laughs> Just be, well, let's just be. Well, there's a you, few reasons. You know, you know who straps on what. Yeah. At the end oh, of the day, I just <laughs> couldn't. It'd just be so emasculated to be like, okay, I'm gonna go in. I'm gonna, I'm gonna kill I, that job interview. She's like, go on, good luck. You, you're so strong. You're so good. You go <laughs> get him, Tiger. And then she's like, <laughs> I'm the opposite. I'm like, yeah, go for it. I, I, can I play golf even, all day? Not even, not even touching that. Not even going down <laughs> that fucking road. There are two kinds of dungeon masters. Um, no, the the interesting thing about um, Stalagma Steel Shadow that I really like is the fact that she has masqueraded as a Durgar for so long that she's able to actually manipulate her own form when she's mm-hmm. polymorphed to yeah. be able to actually have Durgar traits as well. And it's inherent racial traits. It's not spellcasting. Yes. Which is insane to me that, that she can do this. I don't know if this is a thing that all steel dragons can do, but why the shit not? Maybe not just Durgar, but dwarves. Is this just more man-made stuff? No, Steel Dragons were a thing in previous editions. So this obviously got ported up and then never supported, right? Right. So this is one of these... There's lots of it. We're starting to see 5th edition 
cherry picking bits and pieces of what they like from other previous editions as well as other campaign other settings, settings yeah. and then bringing them in and saying oh it's in the forgotten realms don't think about it look at this wacky crazy thing and most players are so new that they don't realize that wait a minute this isn't technically by the strict lore you've given us yeah right so we have a evil metallic an evil, that was kind of my thought too when i saw lawful evil on top of metallic because that's why i initially asked that question yeah but she seems to be in control as much as as the husband is in control of the mind and runs everything yeah. he's also just like if the party shows up it's like hey we're gonna fight you he's like nope and he teleports out onto the back of the gorgon behind her yeah and lets her do the fighting mm-hmm. as he's blasting off spells yeah right like he is <laughs> I don't I don't I just I can't I love I love this but it is so strange yeah as well this really inspires me to think outside the box and do whatever the fudge I want I, and to look to previous editions to, to yeah. grab interesting if wizards is going to do it in official material why the hell can't you well, look, we already have permission to do whatever yeah. we want as DMs, but people don't think big enough sometimes. They just say, oh, I'm going to do a copper dragon with an attitude problem. Oh, no, yeah. make a steel dragon. This is lawful evil. <laughs> I like it. Sure. Okay, my next dragon is Oranax, an adult gold dragon that you can find in Waterdeep Dragon Heist. And what I love about Oranax is Oranax was actually tasked by Dagult, Dagult, never remember. Uh, to guard gold stolen, uh, sorry, gold stored in the Vault of Dragons, and that was done in exchange for the Dragon Staff of Argeron. Um, as, as You've payment. said a lot of nonsense words. Yes, here. I did. <laughs> no, no, you're correct. Am I saying the nonsense words? It's, it's, it's not your fault. Like, you are. This is not your fault because they'll come of... at me. These fuckers. You know they're right. <laughs> they fucking. They're in my DMs so fast, as though I give. A sing- I, DM, I DM back going, you can't even comprehend no, the size of the fuck I don't give. No, no. I, I feel like like I've just got a wall of information like from the yeah. Harry Potter nerds about yes. when you go into Gringotts, down on the third level, <laughs> no, I don't, I do, not only do I not know. It's not Gringotts. I also do not care. Yeah. Right. Behold um, the field in which I grow my fuck. Here's what, here's, here's what I was building to, which is what is interesting. Yeah. Is, uh, now I forget, Oranax, Oranax. This gold is ill-gotten, and mm. Oranax, who is a go- an adult gold dragon, knows this and is still willing to guard it for payment, which comes in the form of magical item and gems. And you were talking earlier, Brad, about a dragon. I forget the details. Now. We've talked about so many where there was kind of a gray, a moral sort of gray area there, and that got me thinking here that this for a gold dragon to do this. It, it reminds me that even every value or virtue still has a hierarchy. So well, what's more important? That you're good or that you crave hordes as or, dragons do? Or mm-hmm. this could just be the fact that it's lawful. I am guarding the bank. Yes. Right? And you don't know. This could be ill-gotten gold, but what other gold and treasures in this, this vault? What... Used what used to be in the vault that they were guarding, and they've just stayed on right over time. Like you don't know what they signed up for, and have just I mean should have retired a couple hundred years ago. But yeah. here we are with that. Like right, y- right. you don't know, but you're right. Lawful good does not mean capital G good yes. every single time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah. So as far as regional effects and, and layer actions, there is none here. There isn't even um, any. Uh, innate spell casting or anything that comes with this dragon from the research that I did. But the dragon staff that I talked about is, is quite an interesting item. One of the, one of the, um, the benefits of that item that I liked is that staff has 10 charges of, uh, of the command spell. And when you use 
that against a dragon, the dragon has disadvantage on those saving throws, and that staff regains 1d10 charges daily at dawn. Maybe that's mm. why he took the job, because they used the damn thing on him, and now he wants it. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Or maybe it's more important to him, that because he actually has that staff as well as payment. Mm -hmm. Maybe it's one of those items where he recognizes that it's more important that he keeps hold of that and keeps it safe. You got to keep it yeah. out of the wrong hands. Yeah, people will say that you were guarding ill-gotten gold and stuff, but that wasn't the, the primary reason that, that happened. Yeah. The source of the gold doesn't really matter to you. It's more important that this staff... Right. Is... And you know, and that's what I would say if mm -hmm. somebody accused me of, you know, whatever. <laughs> I wouldn't call you a gold dragon, though. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's grab our dice and uh, roll another round. We're about halfway through it. Four. Thirteen. Nine. All right, Brad, you're first again. All right, I'm going first again. So, this is... Um, oh, hold on. Umbra Axakar. Umbraxakar. There it is. Well. You're doing well. Umbraxakar. Umbraxakar. Also known as Gleister. Well, previously known. The dragon formerly known as Gleister. Or Glister. <laughs> and that was just a symbol. That's right. <laughs> so Umbraxakar is a shadow dragon found in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. we got another Dungeon of the Mad Mage dragon here. Well, the, the Storm King's Thunder and Mad Mage, right? Are That's where you're going to find yeah. Yeah. Um So Umbraxakar actually means shadowborn in Draconic. Hmm. Because, again, we're dealing with a shadow dragon here. Do, which kind? So shadow dragon in, uh, on top of a bronze dragon. Okay. So was previously an adult bronze dragon known as Gleister. Who is friends with a nobleman swashbuckler named Vanrak Moonstar. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. That's what I was going to say. Yeah. Um, so Vanrak actually began worshipping Shar, the mistress of the night. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Goddess of darkness. And he, she was able to You now have Terry's attention for the first time in this episode. I'm sure. The, yeah. the goddess of the night. Yeah, hello. <laughs> so, uh, anyways. so Ladies. <laughs> this next one's going to get you. She seduced Vanrak to do her bidding, turning him into a death knight. Cool. All right. So was, it, was it the small death? The yes. More? Just a tiny little. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so anyway, um, so uh, Glister or Glister being so allegiant to Vanrak was so like dismayed by him turning, right? He put so much effort as a bronze dragon to try and keep him from turning into this death knight. When it eventually came, he was just so beaten down and dismayed that he allowed himself to fall into this shadow form. So that was ultimately his downfall, was the inability to keep his friend from falling into the darkness. So depression did it to Basically, him? Basically, yeah. Huh. He was so depressed that he just, like, he didn't care anymore, right? So he's like, sure, do whatever. And also, loyalty was a big part of it, too, right? This, Vanrak was such a big part of his life, the two of them had a bond. And so when his... When the Death Knight's strong, powerful magic... Exactly. Yeah, okay, right, he was already weakened by his, his own downstate depression that he was able to... It was very easy for him to turn... That's and very fantasy too. I was is. so upset. I, I yeah, turned li darkness. literally died and came back as in uh, yeah. the girl that walks between the shadows. Like that's so fucking fantasy. Oh, very much so. So now um, Umbraxakar serves as the mount and companion to Vanrak the Death Knight. So Vanrak is kind of the lord of the realm in Dungeon of the Mad Mage. He's kind of the lord of this level. Um, and he rides on the back of this shadow bronze dragon. That's fun. Very cool. Um, That's terrifying. Yeah. As you explore... This is where it gets really interesting. As you explore the region of Vanrak Doom, because, of course, the man... Sure. Yeah, the names Death Knight names it after himself. Yeah. Not only his own name, but then Doom. Yeah. Like, does it get much more Death Knight than that? As you spend more time in the realm, you're going to start to see visions. That is the history of uh, 
Glister, right? The when he was back in the bronze, as he kind of went through this depression, as he went through the loss, you're gonna start to see shadowy visions in your mind as you spend more time in this realm of basically depression and every all the terrible things that he went well, through. Oh, misery loves company. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and eventually, you can um, basically start to actually see manifestations of him. You can walk through them; they can only be still by magic. That's gonna be terrifying, gonna though. Oh yeah, absolutely. So basically, what I pulled from that is I think the most interesting... I mean, yes, it's a trope falling to wisdom, but I think the fact that even a good bronze dragon... We talked about this earlier with the silver being brought into the shadow, right? But in his case, it was due to such a strong bond with another creature. Bronze are one of the few dragons that like don't really have a strong emotional hook to them. Mm-hmm. They're about duty and conquest and victory and glory. and Yes. And then to be brought low, it would have to be something like loyalty like and duty. betrayal. Yeah, right. Betrayal it's that duty like that. that he has. So I, that's kind of the main lore point that I pulled out. Like your dragons are going to form bonds with other creatures, even though we think of them as long-lived, kind of like elves do, right? They don't, yeah. they don't form relationships with the lesser creatures. But Which they is do. bullshit, man. Yeah, I've is. got relationships with all three of my geckos. <laughs> yeah. I fucking hate them all and they need to... <laughs> you know how long they live, goddamn. No, I'm kidding. But seriously, like, to take that from a dragon and put that in, I really enjoy that kind of concept of being able to be brought low because of your bonds and your friendship. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and mechanically, again, he's an adult bronze dragon with the shadow dragon template on top. He also receives an extra breath weapon called Repulsion Breath, which is a 30-foot cone. Yeah, but that's that's the Bronze Dragon. Bronze, yeah. yeah, Bronze yeah. So, so it's just standard. So it's standard. There you go. Perfect. Okay. So that's it. Speaking of bronze, mine this round is a dragon turtle Ooh. named Bronze Fume. Now, she's from uh, Princes of the Apocalypse, which was a very early adventure as well mm-hmm. and not entirely fleshed out very well. I've got not a lot well of problems received. with it. Uh, but I really like Bronze Fume. So, she is the strongest member of the Crushing Wave Cult, which worships water elementals, obviously. I just, I, I did a total major disservice to the plot, but there you go. Before I go any further, I want to remind everyone, I said it before, dragon turtles are intelligent, and they can speak. Not common, necessarily, but they do speak a couple of languages. We cover them in depth in our Dragon Turtle episode, but let's get back to Bronze Fume, She's young, she's impressionable, and actually only has about two-thirds of the hit points of a regular dragon turtle. Hmm. So they've really reduced her uh, ability here. She's only like a CR 5, I think, off the top of my head. Oh, that's cool. I can't remember. Yeah, they they really bring her down. So Uh, She's a little uncertain of her own aggressiveness and needs to be summoned by either the Water Prophet or the sign of her allies being in open combat. She prefers to attack boats instead of the people on the boats focusing on sinking ships and not combating the humanoids aboard them. I think that's a better tactic anyways. She doesn't want the direct confrontation. It's safer mm. for her yeah. to just put a hole in the keel. Yeah, I mean, they'll die a more awful death. Yeah. But, yeah, sure. Yeah. If you approach her, she'll surface to investigate, but will otherwise remain hidden on the other side of Staria Lake. There's also a neat little way to summon her presence with a gong. That's canon. You'll bow, and she'll show up shortly thereafter. Um, but her seduction into the crushing wave cult was essentially due to a promise of riches and she doesn't particularly care. These are just her friends that give her stuff Mm. and she's young and impressionable, like I said. So like that's, she, the peer pressure Mm -hmm. and, and the promise of popularity and, and shiny things are what's, what's motivating her. Bronze Fume is another good example of a name describing the physical traits of the NPC in question, as well as an ability. She's clearly bronze in color. And 
she relies on her breath weapon to attack or her fume, which is, yep. I mean, the water vapor, right? The steam that they have. Our things named, right? Exactly. So the other thing that makes Bronze Fume memorable to me is the fact that she's unsure. She investigates before attacking. She's lured with the promise of fortune and she only defends her friends. She's clearly not evil, despite being allied with an evil cult. Again, this hits me with the fact that dragons aren't necessarily all-knowing, even if they are powerful. Remember that dragons in this game are often NPCs first and monsters second, whether they are of the chromatic, metallic, shadow, undead, gemstone, or turtle varieties. Okay, my next dragon is also a bronze dragon. Hey! An adult bronze dragon, bronze for all three here, named... Felgalos, and you can find Felgalos in Storm King's Thunder. Um, Felgalos is not the typical bronze dragon that I would usually imagine. When we talked about bronze dragons before, Adam, we kind of discussed like battle masters, military type yeah. folk. He's more sticking his nose into everything. Everywhere he finds a problem, he kind of goes diving in there and tries to fix it. Like a dog that's found a porcupine mm -hmm. type thing. Um, and so Felgalos is known as a very imprudent adult bronze dragon that travels across Faerun, causing trouble, surviving perils, and kind of probably just sticking his aura in where he shouldn't. Like, I'm sure the townsfolk will be grateful that Felgalos has showed up, but I don't right. imagine that he's particularly graceful in how he executes these uh, these yeah. situations. Probably not well-liked either, right? He's yeah. Just, he's utilitarian. He's a, he's a Everyone's happy to see the Hulk, but yeah. um, there's shit in the way. Then afterwards, right, yeah. it's like, what the fuck? You know, it's yeah. like on... The, you know, like on this was an Avenger? Who did this? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's... Is it Hancock where he's like, you could have just picked the car up. Yeah. 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 It's going to be right. like that. Absolutely. Um, but Feru, uh, sorry, um, Felgalos does have two bronze dragon parents that left the realm to go and travel the plains, the lore said. I just kind of imagine the parents that are like, just stay home all yeah. summer, don't get yourself into trouble, <laughs> we're going to Florida. It's kind Correct. of like, and then they just sort of never came back. And we get like a montage of, of Felgalos sitting there with the mirror putting the aftershave on. <laughs> yeah, 100%. Because it says, it did say as well that he is an adult dragon technically, but he is a younger adult dragon. Right? Okay. Felgalos is essentially me. I'm 33 years old, mm -hmm. I still feel like I haven't figured it out yet. Everyone else has got kids and I don't know where my car keys are. It's like that. <laughs> It's I didn't think you were going to say car keys. Keep going. I don't know where anything is. I don't know whose panties these are. I've got no idea. But they weren't the girl that came to the door. Um, so, Felgalos, actually due to magical enhancements placed upon him by his former mentor, uh, Felgalos is immune to magical effects from the schools of alteration, enchantment, and necromancy, which I found particularly interesting. He doesn't have a lair anywhere right now because he he essentially just continues to Still travel his around. parents house yeah when he goes <laughs> back no, 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 no. he goes back home to his he's parents backpacking across yeah. europe right yeah. now yeah his lore, it, lair is directly beneath his parents' lair mm -hmm. in That's the right. basement yeah. but he has to go through theirs to get i'm just bringing something <laughs> <That's in. right. laughs> yeah uh and and, and that's felgolos uh i i take a i take inspiration from this in that it reminds me to rethink the other dragon types, and you can still be true to their character and personality. This is still a very military-style dragon, but this is like young idiot officer making mm -hmm. mistakes, not aged commander. It's funny. Everybody looks at the at the wormling and says, "Okay, baby," but we and the ancient says, "Super genius, super tough." Yeah. But it's hard to get that evolution through the Somewhere middle in two between. steps, yeah. right? I mean, in previous shit, we went over this in the last dragon episode. The in the previous editions, there were like. 15 or 19 different mm. ages for dragons that right. each one had a different stat block and, oh they yeah they really pared it down which is great for fifth edition 
is bad for lore nerds like me. Mm. But I'm glad that we get to see by digging into these dragons, yeah. we can see that there is a general evolution to personality as well. I love. Mm-hmm. I just. I just love it that it reminds you that not every dragon needs to be this slow, deep talking, super wise thing, good or bad. That they can probably come in. St- didn't quite stick the landing. He was a, co- yeah. a little yeah, bit hot. Sorry. They fucked up the marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, I've arrived. Some cards over. <laughs> yeah. Took a kid out. Hey everyone, it's Dan. And Adam. And we want to remind everybody all about the different ways you can listen to this podcast. As we say in every episode, we're available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, but there are other apps too. Podbean is obviously one of them because it's the site we use to host the podcast, but there's also Amazon Music slash Audible and Google Podcasts. And iHeartRadio, Podchaser, Player FM, and Stitcher. Podcast Addict and Deezer and Overcast. Pocketcast, CastBox, Listen Notes. Podbay, Chartable, Cast. Castro. Uh, Castro? Yep. As in? As, as in Castro, for all your high fidelity needs. Is that an actual thing? Uh, apparently, and it's part of the package we signed up for, and it seems that it's an Apple Podcasts affiliate, so we're going to be nice about it. Dan. Good, good lord. Anyway, you can listen to every episode on any one of these probably non-communist podcasts. Please apps. don't phrase it like that. Yes, comrade. Oh, for fuck's sake. Or you and your glorious party of D&D players can check us out on YouTube where we have everything broken down into playlists. We've also started adding time codes to the show notes of our newest episodes to help you hop around and find the topics you're looking for. Because some of us don't know when to shut up. And of course, our latest episodes are available at itsamimic.com. Duh. Now, we're going to be a little selfish and ask everyone out there to take a second and leave a positive review for us on whichever podcast app you're using. Likes and comments are great, but these review metrics really help smaller podcasts, like us, connect with other podcasts and listeners in the community. Take to the fields, comrades! Support the proletariat in a world full of capitalist big dogs! Seriously, any help and or effort you guys could throw our way is appreciated. We love you guys, and we want to keep providing the best content we can. Content of the highest marks. Get it, Dan? Marks? Because communism marks. <sighs> All right, let's All right. roll again for the next round. One. Four. It's not Fourteen. Well. Oh, God, we're just hitting the same order over and yeah. over again. Okay. I'm actually going to take this opportunity, though, to defer and let you go first, Adam, because I think it's more important that you're oh, yeah, dragging for this length. round, yeah. and then I will cover mine, because mine's kind of the lesser to your... Sure, Okay. <laughs> Um, so (laughs) story of my life, Brad. So, um, it's just, it's just the bit character. That's right. I'm just kind of, I'm the afterthought. Oh yeah. This would be fun to add. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, uh, much like you were talking about how, uh, your character, your dragon evolved. Mine evolves too, but it's because it was in two different adventures. Okay. And Mm -hmm. I think this is the only one that is. Mine as well. Well, they were connected. They're together. But I think this is the only instance of it. Um, I may be wrong because of Horde of the Dragon Queen and Rise of Tiamat, mm. but I'm not entirely certain off the top of my head. In my head, Tyranny of Dragons is one adventure anyway, so. Anyway, let me get into Cryovane, who first appeared in Storm King's Thunder. He is an adult white dragon and mate of Isendrog, who is Brad's. Well, I'll cover next. Yep, yeah, um, and when we first meet him, he's chained to the deck of a frost giant ship as a prisoner. If the ship is under attack, the Frost Giants will release Cryovane to fight beside them, using his imprisoned mate and eggs as leverage. But if his mate and eggs are freed, he is going to turn on the Giants immediately. He's cruel 
and mean and destructive, showing no allegiance even to those who free him. Humanoids are beneath him, and the giants are his enemies. In Dragon of Icespire Peak, the adventure that's in the Essentials Kit, we meet him again, but this time, he's the big bad evil guy of the adventure. Also, this is a prequel to Storm King's Thunder, because now he's a young dragon in mm -hmm. this. In this adventure, he's claimed the Sword Mountains as his home and is creating incredible upheaval in the region since displacing an orc tribe from the fortress of Icespire Peak. We learn that this is the point um, that he's kind of stupid. He's still mean as shit and cowardly, and these traits don't really go away in Storm King's Thunder, although he's bigger and more vengeful there. Mm -hmm. We get some interesting details about how he operates, including how he surveys the land from above before attacking, how he roams the region on a whim, and how he's always available to be a random encounter, even if he's quick to disengage outside of his lair. As for his lair itself, he lives primarily on the roof of a frozen fortress, but he's not quick-witted uh, enough to know that there are bandits hiding in his lair looking for his horde. Sidebar, there is no horde. Yeah. He's young, he's hungry, and he's new to the area. He's actually froze, frozen an ogre in the past, um, and you can come across the, or, or the ogre's corpse in a block of ice with some loot. But the ogre was too big for him to carry, so he just abandoned the corpse mm -hmm. there. For the most part, Crivane is difficult to engage with. He primarily hits and runs when he's out in the open. He sleeps on the top of a fortress, and he flies up, circling and looking for intruders from above the fortress if he's awakened. And for the most part... The fortress is too small for him to enter. His lair in Storm King's Thunder doesn't have that problem. He's learned by that point. Mm -hmm. Interestingly, because he's a little cowardly and fairly young, defeating him doesn't necessarily mean killing him. Despite the fact that Dragon of Icefire Peak mentions that you can kill him, his final battle is set up to be on the rooftop of the fortress, and there's a lot of opportunity to retreat, and it even mentions that as well. Especially considering he's fighting a level 6 party. Yeah. When it comes to what... Uh, inspired me the most about Cryovane, uh, I picked out three details. One, even dumb dragons are smart enough to retreat if there's enough of an obstacle. Yeah. Two, dragons are so specific to their environments that it makes sense that they would bask in it. A white dragon sleeping on a frozen mountaintop makes sense. Mm -hmm. The same way that a blue dragon basking in the desert heat or a red dragon chilling out by a lava pit also just makes sense to me. The only reason they would ever have interior layers for is for defense of their hordes, their eggs, and themselves. So I think their natural environment is in the open air. Mm -hmm. Their layers are defensive. If the ability to fly is your first sign that, yeah, they want to be out. So the thing that I learned here is that layers should be defensive-minded mm. first. We've talked in the past about having displays and trophies and hordes and everything mm -hmm. else, but there's got to be some defenses built to the dragon's personality and tactics built into this layer first, right? Yeah. Uh, and the third thing I learned is that dragons, even the dumb evil ones, are hyper-protective of their eggs. Yes. Right? So that's actually... Here, Brad, you so yeah, let's let's go into this. So I have Isendraug, who is the wife of... Um, Cryovane. Cryovane. What a name. Cryovane's a much better name than Isendraug. But anyway, Isendraug is, is more Norse. Cry yes. Cryovane is not. Yeah. Cryovane just... I don't know. I like Cryovane. All right. Anyways, um, so she, yeah, she's a, she's also an adult white dragon again, found in Storm King's Thunder. Um, and as Dan or as Adam mentioned, you're not Dan, you're Adam. Yeah, I know the beard. Is... <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> I just did an episode Dan long a couple days ago. Um, so anyways, her partner Cryovane has been taken by the giants. At, if you 
So again, it depends on what order you stumble across her. She might be imprisoned, he might be imprisoned, they might both be imprisoned. Either way, the eggs are definitely gone. So basically, she is going to try and kill you on sight. Unless you try to parlay with her, then she's willing to talk. And basically what she wants is she wants you to retrieve her dragons and free her mate. Makes sense. And sure. if she if you do that, she'll let you go. Which, of course, her plan is as soon as you do that, she will then kill you when you return. What? White dragon? Yeah. White dragon. Oh, right. you're up against, right? Yeah, of course. Um, really, I didn't find her that compelling. Like Adam mentioned, you know, the defense of the eggs is probably the biggest takeaway here. And and this is the first time that we see mates. Mates, yes. Right, as actual, but both of them are NPCs. You always hear both. Yeah. And they had a mate they way back when. Yes. But this is one of the only times you see that. Yeah, I'll have one more later where you'll t- you'll meet both. But um, Do you know, do either of you know? Because you have one each. Mm-hmm. Do they like each other? Is it a happy mating situation? Is it, there's a resentment? It's at least beneficial. They're... I don't know. Practical. Nothing that I read was really clear on the nature of the relationship. They seem I mean, to, does love really come into it they, for a white dragon? Is it? Lo- I don't know. That's love. I don't know. It's probably more of a practical Preference. agreement. And a, it, yeah, it, it could just be like they feel that they Zoidberg it, right? Yeah. Where they they yeah. like once per season. I've got to go just like fertilize some eggs and then fuck off. Right? <laughs> yeah. So I don't. You don't hear a whole lot about the fathers of dragons. No. Let's put it that oh, way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's been. I mean, it's not a black or a black widow situation where the male gets eaten after, but you know, it's. Uh, well. Should the opportunity arise, it might. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. I don't. She wasn't that inspiring to me. She doesn't have a stat block. It's she's, interesting that she has a different motivation beyond hunting, killing, yes, hordes. For a white, it's interesting. To they're see more very than much just, on the defensive, yes. which is interesting. Yeah. Yeah, but and, again, the second that she has an opportunity, even if you do what she wants you to do, she's still going to kill you afterwards. Yeah. like it's, <laughs> So it's to her own benefit. Um, yeah, standard adult white stat block. But worse in the sense she doesn't have a lair because it's not her lair. It is it's his Cryovane's yeah. lair. So she doesn't get lair actions and she doesn't get any regional effects. But he won't get lair actions either because he's either a young dragon in the first one. Yeah, or, or imprisoned he... away from his exactly. lair right. in, second, in Storm King. So That's cool. Or, I like the dynamic yeah. of, the, of the mating pair for sure. Well, my next dragon, I believe, was made for me. Adam, I don't know if you chose this one specifically. 100%, yes. <laughs> I have the Black Shadow Dragon Novarim, also known as the Dark Lady. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Terry, you're welcome. I... So Novarim, also known as the Dark Lady, is known for maintaining several lairs, though she favors the ruined manor house of Rundreth Manor. You can find Novarim in Storm King's Thunder, and she's important in that campaign, spoiler alert, because she does provide key information um, in that module. In fact, sorry, I just said Storm King's Thunder. I meant to say Princess of the Apocalypse. You can find Novarim in. So Novarim has a predilection for young, handsome male humans whom she entices uh, using her illusions uh, to appear as a beautiful woman and then essentially gets them to do her bidding. She gets their loyalty. I don't imagine it to be the point of like Joel Schumacher's Poison Ivy type stupid. But she definitely uses her pinky yeah. finger in a creative But it's ways. definitely <laughs> that type of thing. And then Aww. she'll go off, she'll use them to, to spine agents, to collect magic items, to bring yeah. people back. Essentially kind of uses them as her... Um, she, what does she call them? Her faithful. We don't have few. enough like seduction males in this mm-hmm. game. You know, it's all it's all females seducing men. Uh, my thought right. as well is it's interesting. You get an insight into the writers because it's all it's not just men; it's human males that they always seem to seduce. Sure, you know, I right? think that's because we know what to do with that. Yeah, how do you seduce an elf? What do you mm-hmm. what do you say? Or a dwarf or yeah. pinky and a ring finger for a dwarf. Sure. I'll tell you that right now. I was sure. gonna say thumb, but and all I right. think to go I don't think we're at a point in like 
basically where we are with the world right now, it probably wouldn't be a good idea for wizards to be pressing a seductive male, just go, look how handsome I am, and everybody's falling in love with me. I don't think that would, from yeah. a marketability point of view, yeah. you know what? that would work. Yeah, that's, that's pretty creepy. Yeah, yeah. Even this, I think this, right now, is you're going to get, you're going to be getting get a daggers for this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, okay, so with regards to, uh, so that's her kind of her, her MO, how she operates. Uh, with regards to layer actions and regional effects, there is none because she moves around so much. But what I would say is that I wouldn't have these men as being like stupidly tripping over themselves, falling in love. I'd have more of like an unexplained kind of intense loyalty. Where even the people like in the village, like if you say a bad word against her, mm-hmm. it's just like like they're just chopping away. Then it's the heavy chop and the stop, and it's like we don't talk about her like that. And that's oh okay, kind mm-hmm. kind of like uh, yeah. in that sense. But I think as far as role playing goes, there's a lot of opportunities here. I think oh, every absolutely. every man of puberty age and above in the village has got a secret crush on her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But some of them are super open about her. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, like the, all the married men are like oh, but. She, objectively, I guess yeah. she's attractive. I don't yeah. know if you guys have seen. Have you seen the interview with Stephen Colbert where Nicki Minaj asks him if he's married, and it yes. takes him a good fifteen the seconds to say yes. yes? Yes, it's kind of like yeah. he has to look at his ring and go, "Yes, yes, I am." I am. Yeah. <laughs> it's going to be like I that, forgot for a second. Yes, <laughs> in fact, <laughs> excellent. Anything else? No, that's her. Roll dice again. Let's roll. 18. Oh. All right, Terry, Terry. you're going again. Okay, so my next one is not actually a true dragon, but is actually a dragon sculpture. It's a stone dragon statue that you can find in the uh, in the Tales of the Orient Portal. Um, and it's kind of like a it's, a, it's a puzzle. It's a riddle where if a creature moves within five feet of the dragon statue, a magic mouth spell causes the dragon to utter a riddle. Um, to the to the uh, to the to the PCs, and if you solve the riddle, I won't give the riddle away, so I don't make too much of a spoiler. It will essentially open a sliding area with within the the lair, and then you can kind of go in and find some items and some treasures. So there's not too much to to say with this, other than it reminded me that dragons are truly impressive in the world, whether you love them or you hate them. And there would be these sculptures and statues of various types of dragons around that would show loyalty. And I think as DMs, we need to lean into that, into the 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 imagery of dragons would be would be everywhere, mm-hmm. and and perhaps would be used for this kind of thing more often. I think we get distracted sure. with the physical dragon itself and and forget about the the imagery and what the image of that dragon will mean across the land. You got to yeah. keep in mind too, as well, that these dragon sculptures that you're going to see there's a reason they chose a dragon you're not getting a beholder sculpture or a mind flayer sculpture or a bugbear sculpture it's going to be dragons nine times out of ten it's going to be dragons or famous heroes dragons themselves are those mythic level and why would you not use a dragon as the key for the puzzle that unlocks treasure yeah, like it makes perfect sense. Right. You got a room with treasure in it. Of course, there's gonna be a dragon that protects it. Yeah, and and a riddle, of course, requires a certain amount of intelligence. Dragons, of course, being intelligent, it all lines up nicely for that. Mm-hmm. And you're right, Terry. I, I just don't think that people are glomming onto that the way that they should. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who is next? I'm going next, and I've got RV Eritus. Good. I'm yeah, so sorry. Thanks I for that one again. Uh, RV Arvea Taras. I knew you Arvea couldn't say Taras. I knew you couldn't say there twice. That's why Arvea I Taras. I got it now. <laughs> um, so she is an ancient white dragon. And the second, I mentioned it earlier, I got mistaken. This is the other one that appears in two books. So she appears originally in Horde of the Dragon Queen. And then she makes another appearance 
in Rime of the Frost Maiden. Really? Yes. Cool. Again, in both of them, kind of this minor side quest. You may run into her, you may not. But she is known as the White Worm. She once served a wizard whose name was Meltharond, and his corpse actually still remains strapped to a saddle on her back. Oh, that's her. Okay. Yes. Yeah. So she is unable to accept the fact that this wizard that she served for so long is dead. So she still speaks to him as if he's alive, and in her mind, he is still alive. Oh, this uh, is some like this is Norman Bates level shit. Yeah, like this is this is obviously just some sort of like comedic side piece that they threw in. They said, "Oh, this will be fun. We'll have a dragon with a wizard." Oh, but I'd play that really creepy too. Oh, you could, you absolutely could. But the way it was written and the way that I read it, I felt very just comedic. Look, um, *Rime of the Frost Maiden* is a dark dark book. It is is heavy and depressive, and there's like cosmic horror aspects, and you are just out in the blizzard freezing mm-hmm. to death all the time and uh, it is a it can be very dark it's deep darker radiance in D&D right right yeah um but i'm not surprised that they've got a couple of little like lighter moments just to break it up mm-hmm. so yeah basically she still speaks to this corpse as alive she considers it to be a, her partner in fact it says specifically in the rhyme of the frost maiden book that if the party deals with her they should be under level to deal with an ancient dragon obviously so basically what they can do is if they find any way to kind of jostle her around to the point where the rider falls off her back, she will stop to make sure that the corpse is okay. She may even ask the party to put him back on for her. Or if there's any kobolds on, she'll get them to put their back on for her. <laughs> like you're in the middle of initiative. The bard has gone down. Yeah. The rogue has got three hit points left, but the guy falls off. She's like, time out. Everybody stop. Everybody, everybody stop. Hold everybody on. Hold stop. On. But that's exactly, Nobody look. But that's exactly what will happen. Like that is not like it says specifically the in her rules. No, it's just the voice. Yeah, she she actually does. She oh does. You she does the she, voice. Uh, sorry, no, she does not do the voice, but she specifically asks questions of him. Like, oh, we know what to do with it. It's almost Gollum-esque with the ring. Right. Like the way that she speaks to it. I like the, the Norman Bates. But yeah, Norm- right. absolutely well, yeah. is another great way to pull it across. Um, so yeah, basically, find a way to basically knock this thing off her back and you're going to be safe and out of combat. It's like when you're she, playing the video game, the guy in the back is mm-hmm. sparkling for some yeah. reason. You know what to aim at. Exactly. Yeah. Um, also, canonically, and based on the information given to us in Rem the Frostman, she has vision of only 60 feet. She oh. is... Because of her age, she is quite ancient. Oh, wow. So she is an ancient dragon. So if you can get out of 60 feet of her, she won't be able to see you. I like the, the idea of still that evolution that we're learning that you can get so old as a dragon that you can get too old. Yes, right. exactly. So yeah, really. But again, I wasn't super inspired by it. There's no specific stat block for her. But I will toss it now to Adam because she is actually married to the dragon that... or Sorry, is the partner to the dragon that Adam's going to speak about. Uh, which is Orothador, who's from Rides of uh, Tiamat as well. So uh, Orothador is an ancient white dragon who also goes by the name Old White Death. He is an ally of the Cult of the Dragon in the adventure uh, Rise of Tiamat, and the players encounter him while trying to rescue an NPC with important information. Orothador is famous for being involved in a great attack 100 years ago, where he and a dozen other dragons raided a magical tower, and he was seen carrying away a ton of magical and powerful items, including spellbooks. These days, you can expect him to be an accomplished spellcaster, which is bad. But also, he has a decent horde to plunder, which is good. He has a number of servants throughout the adventure, but also many enemies. Some of them tell tales of old white death's brutal slaying. But those who are better informed know that Orathador, I'm going to say this differently every time, it is 
Arothator. Arothator. Right. Is still very much alive. He is a typical white dragon, both savage and brutal, and has a number of layers littered around the sea of moving ice. His main layer, however, is inside a distant mountain called Lone Fang Mountain and is warded against scrying magic. Eventually, in the adventure, the party's going to head to one of the iceberg layers where they can expect to go up against ice trolls, ice toads, and, of course, kobolds. And on the way to fight him, um, they're going to uh, encounter him flying around quite a bit as well. He actually lured an NPC that they're trying to get in by uh, by offering certain powers and whatnot, including, you can ride my wife if you'd like. Yes. But, of course, this was just a total bluff. Got the NPC there, just like, no, fuck you, you're imprisoned. For, th- no. for three years. And now the party's got to come rescue the guy, so. Basically, he was he said, you can basically replace the wizard that's riding on my wife's back. Because give her, we'll oh, give her a real like wizard, a, or someone right. who actually has power and is alive. That was like a yeah. dragon cuckold situation. <laughs> that's, right. that's the way Adam <laughs> no, likes no, to no, phrase not it. Not that kind of ride. Um, so, it's cool because he enters and exits through special underwater tunnels, but is willing and able to attack approaching ships from the air. His lair is appropriately trapped with magical traps, and the adventure makes a point to mention that if the party wants to fight him directly, they need to seek help and magic items from an NPC first. They cannot do it on their own. Rise of Tiamat also discusses the condition of winning, where the players may be able to kill him, but it's just as likely that he'll be driven off to a different lair to lick his wounds. What's most inspiring about this particular dragon is that there are quite a few details about what happens afterwards. His minions all act differently, whether he's killed or driven away, and the political powers in the region all react in different ways depending on the outcome. There's actually a really cool chart in Rise of Tiamat, which says when you accomplish different things in different parts of the book, all of the different factions, like the Harpers and everything else, Mm. will react to you differently and have a different opinion. That's good. That's smart. Yeah. This gets me thinking about the uh, fallout of what happens after a cult falls or a powerhouse in a region is killed. How do NPCs and monsters react to the sudden absence of power? Most of the rest of uh, his details are pretty straightforward for White Dragons, which is understandable considering that this adventure was published early in 5th edition. Yeah. Um, also, I'm starting to get a little sick of White Dragons. We've talked a lot about White Dragons. White bronze. Interestingly, yeah. I was noting, both of the ones that we have that were mating pairs, shall we say, yeah, were, were White, White Dragons, yeah. which is not necessarily the one that you necessarily associate with That's right. You know, having a partner. right? They seem like kind of lone hunters. Yeah, but again, both of the examples we have of partner dragons. White dragons that's what I would dragons. think red, if anything, like the Lannister vibes, like keeping the bloodline strong you mm-hmm. know, for the for the true because they truly believe like by divine right, they're the greatest. Yeah, right, your golds, your silvers. Yeah. If you like what you've seen here or heard here, we can recommend that you follow us on Instagram, Facebook, or on r slash it's a mimic on Reddit to get more information or get in contact with us. If you have any questions or you want to email us some questions for the mailbag episodes. You can reach us at info at itsamimic.com. We are always taking questions for the mailbag and would love to hear from you. All right. On a roll again. We have so many more dragons to go through. Guys, there's only 22 left. Well, no, I got six. No, I'm kidding. 13. I'm only, going first. There's only 10 left. We're, we're getting close. All right. So we were just talking about how we're tired of uh, white dragons. Yep. Well, I've got Glazael, an adult white dragon found in Horde <laughs> of the Dragon Queen. <laughs> sure. He just carried on. There's nothing. <laughs> So, uh, Glazael is known as Glazael the Cloud Chaser, and in the module he is serving the effort to help raise Tiamat. Okay. Okay? Um, He's hoping that his efforts will be rewarded with big power from Tiamat and riches from Tiamat. 
Basically, if he raises her, he'll get... As a dragon, obviously, he will be raised through the ranks. He's a true believer in the cult of the dragon. Absolutely. And he will get all the power from it. Um, He's very proud and not especially quick-witted. He's described in the book as dim-witted. Yeah. He's prone to flattery and falling victim to quick speech and can probably be outwitted by a particularly sharp adventurer. Um, There is some fun role-playing stuff here to think about, like this pompous white dragon. Again, we don't really think about that with the whites, right? White dragons we always consider to be these hunters, these cunning kind of... Yeah, but you can have pompous hunters, right? Yes, I, you can. Yeah, and I, this is what he is. I'm thinking of the dad from Jumanji. Yeah. What when, when, oh, okay. when he comes back yeah. is the, like, yeah. the safari version yeah. of it. Yeah. Also, if you're the stupidest person in the room, you're probably the only one that doesn't know it. Yeah, you know? oh, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, he's still not stupid. He's still going to have your standard adult white dragon stat block. He's still going to be more intelligent than your average person. Right. But he's... As far as dragons go, he's you, you play him a little more dim-witted than that. Yeah. Um, so he can easily be bribed or bought as well. He likes shiny things. But again, as long as it's not in contradiction to the raising of Tiamat. So he, he's not interested in killing you if it doesn't further the, the summoning of Tiamat. Mm. Right? Or the freeing of Tiamat. So again, his, his kind of motivation is not the typical white dragon. Um, it's all about the cult. So... Fighting is obviously going to be a bad decision if you make it, but it's going to be really easy to avoid with this guy. Yeah, okay. All right. Fair enough. Uh, again, no special stat block for him. Standard adult. Heart dragon. of the Dragon Queen was the first adventure, so they were probably just going off the, the uh, monster manual. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's me That's next. you, Adam, yeah. So, in Heart of the Dragon Queen, there's a brief mention in passing about a couple of black dragons. When you head to Castle Neratar, you find evidence of twin black dragons from old lore in previous editions. Their names are Varag Hamanthar and Warverendor. Uh, Jesus. And when they don't get the spotlight, and sorry, and while they don't get the spotlight, they do have an interesting backstory. Here's what I dug up on what is called in D&D lore, the Black Brothers. The thing that makes them most unique is the fact that they share a secret empathic bond that makes them act almost as if they share the same mind and soul. Normally upon hatching, black wormlings will fight and kill each other until there's only one left. But Vorag Hamanthar and Verandor teamed up. They killed the others and they fled. Since then, they fended for each other and worked together as they took over the Mere of Dead Men on the Sword Coast. They aren't interested in many other creatures who are merely food to them, but they do like to use adventuring parties as tools, where Verandor would approach and be social, but if that fails, then Vorag Hamanthar would swoop in to attack. So there's the social and then the combat. For the, for the most part, the twins both masquerade as one dragon. Vorag Hamanthar uh, is the face, and, um, and the other one just kind of stays back. And then pretends to be him whenever this time. You happens. never see them both in the same place at the same time. No, they like go Superman out. and Clark Kent, but actually two. I different love people. that. Yeah, I love that. Almost no one knows that there are two of them, and they only really show a force of strength when another dragon moves into the area and needs to be killed. Then they'll work together, in the same place at the same time. Other than that, they hide from dragons. They don't want any other dragons to know there's two of them working together because then they're a threat. This, this, I'm racing with inspiration with these mm-hmm. two. Yeah. Um, so they hide underwater, they like their, their little swamp, their bog, and they really kind of rule the area, but they're not super involved in the politics either. The lizard folk worship them though in the area. Yes. So 
The big thing about them is they can appear anywhere without warning because there's a lot of water and they do swim and stay out of sight a whole lot. Uh, and everyone tells rumors about how he's so fast that it's almost like he can be in two places at once. Mm. Other than that, they hide and enjoy being worshipped by the lizard folk. They're only loosely attached to the cult of the dragon and don't really want to get involved in most agendas. In fact, the Horde of the Dragon Queen mentions that most adventuring parties shouldn't even meet the Black Brothers because they'll appear in Rise of Tiamat. And then you check Rise of Tiamat, and they're not there. Yeah. So, uh, then that's it. You look online, you can see the most people who run the adventure are frustrated by the lack of dragons in the Tyranny of Dragons arc storyline. So, they've inserted uh, Vorag Hamanthar in a bigger role, but it seems mostly to just be as a standard black dragon. And the idea here is that you could play a dragon with a seemingly split personality, mm-hmm. Only to reveal that there were two dragons all along this entire time. You could do so much with this. I've yeah. actually already stolen this. I, oh, yeah? For, uh, well, so when I inherited the clear-cut campaign from Dan, yeah. I didn't know where to take over, and we were following a dragon egg storyline anyways. So I actually basically took this out of that module and started to play it, and then the party disbanded because, yeah. Yeah. you know, campaigns happen, especially when your DM changes. Yeah. Um, so... Yeah. I, I freaking love this. This is beautiful. It's absolutely brilliant. I saw this. I was so inspired. And I'm like, you know, I'm not even going to change it. I'm just going to straight up steal it. And yeah. I dropped it into I, our campaign. I want to know their backstory and that, like how they were raised. Why are they They were different? on their own hunting and... and oh, they but, were they were hatched with an empathic link already. Mm-hmm. So something just happened to them while they were in the eggs. But they operate differently, right? Considering they've been together from birth in the same environment doing the same things, they, they have naturally different skills that they lean into. Mm-hmm. Well, it's like no twins are exactly the same, right? Yeah. You always have, they the, have different skill sets. Yeah. And I different, don't believe in twins. But. You don't believe in twins? Dan would like to <laughs> I talk think it's the biggest conspiracy ever. Yeah. So. <laughs> you ever seen Dan's twins in the same room at the same time? Never. You ever seen my twins in the same room at the same time? Exactly that. No. Yeah, unfortunately, there was that one time I walked in on you. That was an unfortunate pride. We gave you an invite. <laughs> there, it's your turn. <laughs> Help rescue me from this conversation. (laughs) Okay, well, sticking with Horde of the Dragon Queen, I'm going to talk about Lenathon. And there isn't too much lore that I could find on Lenathon, but there is a lot of inspiration that can be had. Well, when Lenathon died, he was followed by Stalinthon, right? Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. You you just have a cultural flashback there? (laughs) (laughs) No, your cultural flashback would be he was... uh, he had a big fight with uh, McCarthy-thon. Is that what it is? That's exactly <laughs> what happened, yeah. Um, okay, so Lenathon appears almost immediately in Horde of the Dragon Queen. Uh, is an adult blue dragon, which is uh, whom is hired by the Cult of the Dragon under Severin Silregin to attack Greenest, which I believe is the town that you start in. Yeah, at the start that's of correct. Horde of the Dragon Queen. And he rather unenthusiastically is performing his role as though he really either doesn't want to be there or does not believe he should have been ordered to be there or feels like he should be doing some kind of grander task. The cult of the of the dragon is not powerful enough to be no. worthy of his notice at this early in the campaign. Right. But they were paying him to do a yeah. job, so he did it half-assed. He basically flew around, burnt a town down, and was like, yeah. That's exactly it. He flies around, comes in close, lets off a couple of breath weapons, comes back a little bit. Um, and then eventually, if he takes on too much damage, just starts to leave. But there isn't too much lore on him. 
the what but where it did inspire me was to to demonstrate to newer dms and and to players to enjoy it that you can bring in high level creatures such as dragons you can enjoy them even when the party is lower level you don't need to be saying oh i can't wait till we get to third or fourth tier when i can bring in these adult and ancient dragons you can bring them in for different reasons. Scare the shit out of the party immediately. You're level one in greenness. Yeah. Kill NPCs. You you should talk to Dan and Dave and Megan who are in my my Sunday campaign because they are level two and they are fighting purple worms left, right, and center right now. Perfect. Yeah. There's all life finds a way. There's yeah. always a way to, to get kill into a player. Yeah. <laughs> but even because of this is a great example where Lanathon's. Um, tactics uh, for this encounter is that he has no intention of flying close, but he is letting off a breath weapon. So there's little puzzles you can do along the way, little um, encounters and scenarios where this dragon is still causing damage or affecting things. I feel like you're getting skill challenges and environment stuff. NPCs trapped under rubble, things going off all the time. There's things you can do. Chaos. Chaos! I love chaos. There's a lot of complaints about Horde of the Dragon Queen specifically because it starts with this, it opens with this encounter and it is so lethal to players if they don't know that they can't take it on. And that's where it's on. It's bad for new DMs, but right. any, any experienced DM will know, okay, the whole point of this is to kill the NPCs, I, I, show the players the power of a dragon you, you, and have it you take You start off. session one or the moment this dragon shows up and you say, your characters, what's your intelligence score? And no matter what it is, you're intelligent enough to know that you cannot win a fight against this. Yeah, 100%. Or just, you know, it may be newer DMs if they're following a module from level one, right? So they maybe haven't realized this. But remember, stop putting your players in a situation where they think they have to fight it. Yeah. Lenathon, I keep wanting to say Leningrad. Leningrad is, is flying away. He's coming in and he doesn't necessarily attack your players no there could be a thousand people in green is firing arrows at him you know it's don't put all of the attention on the players right away instead give them situations that are occurring because this dragon is attacking the town not these four people yeah. in particular let's roll dice 12 18, oh, 18 roll gone, Brad. 14 not 20 well, there you go all you right first. so before i can get into this next one i have to explain that there's one part of dungeon of the mad mage that sees the adventuring party enter a fortress that is one twelfth its regular size they do this the same way that every other creature in the fortress explores it by shrinking to one twelfth their own size because dungeon of the mad mage right yeah. i bring this up because there's a violet fairy dragon named otto who is in this miniature fortress but he's immune to the shrinking and that's right so, he operates like a fairy dragon that's 12 feet long with 104 hit points and a strength of 18. Amazing. <laughs> Fuck. Amazing. So remember, violet fairy dragons can cast polymorph once per day, and this fairy dragon is prone to boredom. As fairy dragons are prone to do. <laughs> yep. He likes to pull pranks on stone giants nearby, but his main pastime is fighting the other creature that doesn't shrink down inside the fortress. The homunculus of the evil owner of the fortress. <laughs> In this adventure, it says that Otto the Fairy Dragon will offer rest and relaxation for the adventurers if they can lure the seemingly large-sized homunculus outside and trap it there. Because the two of them fight all the fucking time, and they always... uh, Otto wins, but he can't get the homunculus out of the fortress. Right. There's not much else to say about this neat little side quest in the adventure, but I think it provides a good example for DMs who like to play with world-building. Some NPCs have their own priorities and their own battles. They don't give a shit about the player characters, 
overall plots, important themes, or good versus evil, much like real people, some NPCs are too worried about their own problems to be invested in yours. And this is true for dragons too, despite how good or evil they may be. Truth. Yep. True that. I like it. All right. Anything else? No, that's it. Cool. I, I Oh, yeah, okay. So my other complaint here is that there's a very famous wizard named Otto, and it's supposed mm. to be the exact same yes. way. And he's got an irresistible dance, and that's what you know him from. Mm-hmm. It's Otto's irresistible dance. That's the spell name. Right. And why did they double up on... I, I, right. They keep doubling up on names like Ravenloft, but also Castle, Ra- Castle Ravenloft. And we have right. Avernus, and then also Castle Avernus. Yeah. Why are you doing this shit? I have a theory on this. Yeah? I think it's generational rotation. It's people come in and they just don't know. I, I think, Yeah. Well, I think the way Wizards is growing so quickly with video games and stuff like that, they will be bringing on staff and bringing mm-hmm. engineers and writers and all this stuff so quickly to push this product out. The chances are they probably just didn't know there was auto. Well, all this, yeah, okay, maybe. But the other thing too about this is that they are sitting there with all of this, this, this back history, this right. backlog mm-hmm. of of all these adventures and shit, and you have to keep in mind there were two magazines that were releasing every, every month, month. Yeah, with yeah. new adventures and new NPCs. People weren't cross referencing with each other. There was a sheer number of three point five books that were introduced. Yeah. The fact that it wasn't easy to get D and D material back in the original D and D days, it it was an undertaking to get the little brown books. Yes, the original rule set. Right, so there was probably gaps in information as people were Avernus. How do I remember that? It's a cool word. I'll use it for a castle as well, mm-hmm. not realizing that Gygax is currently writing a book about the oh, Nine Elves. Yeah. Right. So like, there's going to be weird miscommunications. It all became canon, and now as we're cherry picking what we like, we're not going to rewrite it because the purists are going to be pissed. Yeah. yeah. So there's Fair that enough. too, but also. Um, I don't care. Make it different. It's less confusing that yeah. way. Yeah, you know, I, I'm going against what I just said in that every time you come up with an NPC name or a place name, you should just Google D&D Auto and see what comes. Oh, that one already exists. That's literally how I do about half of my prep for every episode. 100%. Once I'm done everything in 5th edition, I've, I've done my research, I set it aside, and Google, what did I miss? Mm. Oh, shit, where is that? And then I go digging, right? Yeah. So, anyway. Yeah. All right. I have Venom Fang. Venom Fang, for new players, is a good chance this will be the first dragon you ever meet. Because he is in the Lost Minds of Fandelver. Oh, okay. All right. So, which is in the starter which set. Which is in the starter set. So if you're introducing new players, I still say Essentials might be a better tool at this point. But I still think this is an excellent tool for introducing new players. Look, the Lost Minds of Fandelver is hailed as being the single best um, and most comprehensive introduction to D&D yeah. that we've ever had. Also, it's ranked among the top like three adventures. It's actually really well written. If you oh, really? if you write yeah. it off as a starter set book for beginners, Dave don't. And Dave don't. and Dan have both played through it, and they both like hail it as being fantastic. Yeah, I haven't managed. I've read it, but I haven't sunk my teeth into it. Yeah, I haven't run it, but I've gone through it in preparation to run it, and I'm just so impressed by how well it was written. Anyways, Venom Fang is a young green dragon that you'll find in that book. Um, he's taken over a tower in the th- town of Thunder Tree. Great town name. Um, the tower used to belong to a wizard who died when the town was destroyed by ash zombies 30 years prior. Thunder Tree sounds like the name of a show coming out on Netflix next month. It probably is. No, like, and that's not a, that, that's not a reference to anything. That just sounds it like, does, yeah. like, yeah. Oh, next, next month we're going to be releasing episode where Thunder season Tree. one of Thunder Tree. Yeah. Like, all right. Fuck you, Netflix. <laughs> wow. 
Anyway, so, uh, yeah, the town was destroyed by Ash Zombies. He came in 30 years later, took over the tower. In taking over the tower, you have to kick out the previous inhabitants who are giant spiders, so you'll find their corpses all over the tower as well. Cool. Um, yeah, again, young Green, right? So he's still trying to figure his way in the world, establish his own lair. And so he has picked this spot, realizing that's a decent spot for a lair and has set up shop. Like any other dragon, he spends most of his time admiring the treasures that he's already acquired, which consists of some spell scrolls and a modest pile of coin. He's also unaware that the most valuable item in his hoard is... His a, big freaking work. No, 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 no. It is. It might as well be. Um, no, it's an unassuming magic battle axe. That, is that what I said? Yeah, it, that's what I said. It's, it might as well yeah. be. Um, but basically what this axe does is anytime you are damaging... Basically, it's created by a dwarf who is uh, in battle with the tree blights, I think. I didn't, I didn't write sure. this butt down, but some dryads, actually. It was dryads. Dryads, okay. So anytime you attack a plant-based object, so a tree or a dryad or something like that, blights, you will do max damage automatically. Huh. Auto-crit. Auto-crit. So as long as you hit, you do max damage. I mean, it's not technically an auto-crit. Uh, no. But, but, but max yeah. damage. It might as well be. Exactly. Yeah. So just a little cool. That's one of the treasures that he he protects, but That's it fun. doesn't look like much. It's but it's cool. Um, as well, he is he's bra- he's a young green, right? So he's brash, he's proud, he's arrogant, but he also knows that he would rather live to fight another day. So should you fight him? And again, like a lot of dragons, right? They get to half health. They're gonna fly away to live another day and come back with another. Point. I am a strong believer in if it has an intelligence of five or more, it will retreat when it's hurt, mm-hmm. unless it's a zealot. Mm-hmm. Yes, or or it's, has something it's protecting that's more important than its own life, or it's planar. Because yeah. if you kill an angel oh, yeah. or a fiend or whatever in the material plane, it'll just resurrect on its home plane and then come back for you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, so yeah. But like dragons and shit, no, they'll they'll book it. They'll run absolutely. So that was kind of my takeaway for this is a reminder that, you know what, even the youngest dragon, the most brash dragon is still going to run when it needs to. The other thing I've got from this is Venom Fang is a perfect generic dragon template to use for new players. Sure. If you just want to pull out some sort of dragon fight because you have brand new players, it's Dungeons and Dragons, they want to explore a dungeon, they want to fight a dragon. This is a good place to start. Pull this out. Yeah. It is so basic. There's Just nothing whip special. out your Venom Fang. Exactly. He uses no special stat block. He has no special rules. It's super simple. There's no lair you got to worry about. No lair. He's too no. young. Yeah, yeah, he hasn't established his own lair yet. So yeah. it's just... It's a great introduction for the DM and the players. Exactly. With yeah. a low-level horde, too, because it's spells Absolutely. and gold. You're yeah. still going to get treasure. You're not getting anything that's going to break your game. Yeah. No, that's really good. Even this axe. Like, either suit something suited to your own campaign and use this as inspiration... Or given this axe, it's not gonna, it, this isn't going to break your campaign. It doesn't have to be an axe. It could be no. a bow with, that does it against spider creatures, exactly. right? Like yeah. it, it, you just can take the mechanic exactly. and adjust it. Yeah, absolutely. Auto max damage weapon. Yeah. Cool. Okay, my next dragon is Calcrix, the white dragon wormling from More Tales from the Morning Portal. <laughs> absolutely, yeah. Uh, and this is going to be a real quick one. This is a little part of the adventure where you. Um, the party comes across a group of kobolds who has lost their pet dragon, their pet white Aww. dragon wormling, and you are tasked 
to go and rescue the dragon wormling, who, if I remember correctly, internet scream at me, I believe has been kidnapped by, I think, goblins, but I might be remembering that wrong. But uh, anyway, kidnapped by another group. And then lo and behold, when you go and you find Calcrix, Calcrix has decided that he prefers where he is now and does not want to come back with you. Which, which one of the... Is this the Sunless Citadel that this is in? Yes, yes. Then it is Goblins. Yeah. It is Goblins, yeah. yeah. Calcrix has decided that he prefers where he wants to be now and does not want to come back with you. But you are promised aid from the kobolds if you return him. And so you then have... The goblins let me stay up whenever I want and eat ice cream for dinner. <laughs> yeah, so, it's, yeah. It's I want to stay too. It, yeah. it is that Calcrix is I got treated, kids, I don't even get to do that anymore. ...is treated better by the goblins than the kobolds, which essentially is two groups yeah. of fuckwits. you got to decide which one. <laughs> yeah, which, like, it's a lose-lose, really, <laughs> right. as an adventurer. I like the idea, too, that the goblins aren't doing it because they worship them. They're just like, I'm going to piss off the kobolds. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's it. That's it. But there is um, almost like a small horde of like gems and the things that the goblins have collected that uh, Calcrix essentially gets to protect and kind of feels like it's mm-hmm. his own. So it's his own kind of first time. It's his starter set horde that he's got <laughs> and he prefers it. But wh- where Rumbling's this inspired first me, yeah. yeah, where this inspired me is it reminded me that wherever your party goes, they should not find truly what they expect to find. Go yeah. and rescue mm-hmm. the dragon wormling. Perfect. Here's the dragon wormling. The oh, dragon wormling doesn't want to come back. That, with that, the, that's the a le- that's a level like one to three yes, adventure great, as well, yeah. right? Perfect. So. Perfect. Introduce the. But it, yeah, it reminds me of that. Whenever there's something, DMs and don't like uh, screw your brain around trying to figure out what's it going to be, what's it going. Take something that is true or something that is expected. Take one thing and just reverse it. It's mm. an easy way. I, bring the dragon back. It doesn't want to come back. As, as simple as I don't want to. Can totally change an entire Absolutely. NPC, and you do that. You've done that with oh, us yeah. before. Yeah, I don't. You have difficult NPCs that we have to work around. It's all part of the fun. Oh yeah, fuck. Sidebar, Terry. You should know that um, uh, Miek is playing in a campaign. She's separated from the rest of the party. Camion, who is my favorite mm-hmm. imp character, who has terrorized everybody across three or four different campaigns now. Uh, who Mieka created in a previous campaign. She's now playing her character's daughter, and Camion is like overseeing her and whatnot. Camion finally pulled his double cross, killed one of the kings of hell, murdered Mieka's character down to death saves and left her in a UNT dungeon and fucked off. And she ended the session by actually succeeding on her third death save, barely, but she is still unconscious, behind enemy lines, um, wearing the enemy like soldier's clothing, unconscious, surrounded by the corpses of, of the enemy. So, uh, and Camion is now uh, a super archdevil. So, I fucking hate that guy. So difficult NPCs can have long-term gains. Oh, they and stick just, with you. Oh, I am so in love. Camion is actually on the wall over there. We had we had character art given to us. Yeah, so. I remember so, seeing it. Uh, one last round of dragons, guys. Oh, All right. God. I think it's the last one I got in me. That's good. I got a four. Oh, I Fifteen. I got a one. All right, Terry. I'm you're going up. again. I... We'll be discussing the ancient silver dragon Argenvost from the Curse of Strahd campaign. So, the interesting thing about Argenvost, if you play Curse of Strahd, spoiler alert, he's dead! (laughs) All of these ones are dead. We've got dead dragons up there. We've got dead dragons all over the place. But the story of Argenvost, the ancient silver dragon who first came to the Valley of Barovia in the guise of a nobleman, he had heard of a place called the Amber Temple, and it was a repository of evil power, guarded by the forces of good. Um, Argenvost wanted to make sure that the evil sealed there wouldn't be able to be allowed to escape, so he built a fortified mansion close by, which is Argenvost Halt. 
Now, what's interesting about this uh, situation is I just mentioned that Argon Vost was dead. It's because after he comes to the Valley of Barovia, he's battling Strahd before Strahd was Strahd as we kind of know him here and fights Strahd back a little bit and then Strahd comes back with more forces and wins. The good guy, the, sil the ancient silver dragon, loses. And what I love about Argon Vost is it's kind of like... Kind of like Rhaegar Targaryen in uh, in the Game of Thrones, uh, in that he's like spoiler alert for that. The most like significant person is already dead in the story, and you're yeah. kind of uncovering it as you sort of go along. Um, so Argonvost is, is is very interesting for that, and it, it's another reminder to players um, that uh, to DMs rather that don't go along with that standard narrative of the good guys always have to win. Maybe the good guys losing is where your campaign starts and picks up along the way. And we get into our mind where we expect that eventually the good guys will win. So at some point along the road, trip people up with that. You know, it's your party's um, mission to win overall, but people that they are expecting to win already because they're ancient silver dragons, and of course they will maintain good, sometimes will lose. I like to use the good guys losing right at an act break. Because mm -hmm. I like, look, we did the storylines episodes um, way back when. And I often think of D&D &D as a three or five act play. Um, it works with four acts very cleanly with the tiers, but I like to yeah. break it up a little bit. Um, and what's really interesting with Strahd, the curse of Strahd, your party comes in at the beginning of the final act. Act one is Strahd versus Argonvost. Yeah. Act two is. Strahd falling and and his lady love dying and him mm -hmm. he kills his brother and the curse of Barovia the the curse yeah. of Strahd right and then yeah. Act Three is you guys coming in and undoing that shit yeah. and and wrapping it up and killing Strahd right? yeah that's true so yeah. like it, it very much is a Argonvoss dying was a major turning point in this and everyone is still feeling those effects in the story and you mm. just reminded me another important lesson there which is DMs when you're trying to this module is a great example of this. When you're trying to build your own campaigns and trying to create your own stories, don't think about how do I get to the story and build it. Just start the story. Yep. People will pick it up. Every great movie, it already it's already happening. We'll figure it out. What's mm. that guy? He's talking about bank vault. Okay. Oh yeah, he mentioned him earlier. Just get just get in there. They call that in media res. Yes. Okay. When, when you start in the action, in the middle. And, yeah, and it literally means starting in the middle, right? And so the idea here is that. You will get to the details of why we're doing this later. James Bond movies are great for that yeah, shit. Perfect, Every yeah. one of them opens up with an action sequence. You're like, I don't, I, I don't know why the guy with the clear face disfigurement is the bad guy, but I believe he is, and we'll find out later yeah, why. Yeah, exactly. So, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I guess I was second. With so a let's go from Barovia to Exandria. Um, so this is the Wildmount campaign. Deep below the ruined city full of magical artifacts known as the Vault of Shadows, there are catacombs full of horror and death. Undeath, specifically. Orax the Enduring is an ancient black Dracolich who has made his home in the dark depths below the city and focuses on killing, then raising, then weaponizing his enemies. Cool. I definitely thought that said Orcas, not Orax. No, it's it's Orax. God, like, just choose different freaking letters. You know what? I can... It's all too close. The Orcus having the word orc, but having nothing to do with orcs, drives me nuts. As yes, yeah. that one drives me nuts. Yeah, definitely. So, yeah. Uh, so, I was expecting a giant killer whale dragon, and I was here for it. <laughs> no, no, that's wrong. It's not, it, it's not Orcas. It's Orax the Enduring. He has teamed up 
with a Corespond Seer, which is a Mercer original monster that essentially operates as a creepy aberration spellcaster-ish that uh, essentially transforms energy. That's his special spell casting that he created, right? Yeah. yeah. So um, they've teamed up to build an army of undead made up of would-be grave robbers and relic seekers. Hmm. There's not a whole lot of information in Explorer's Guide to Wildmount, and to my knowledge, he's only been name-dropped in Critical Role and not actually encountered. But we do know that plants grow thick and warped within a six-mile radius of Oryx's lair, and all the water in the surrounding area has been spoiled and fouled. The biggest inspiration I get out of reading Oryx's info is that it's his environment that is so impressive, that and his ambition, his ambition, which I guess is the takeaway here, because Oryx the Enduring was an ancient dragon. So you know he was pretty damned ambitious for a long time. Then he became so ambitious that he became a lich when he died. Sure. Yeah. But his ambition still remains now. And a lot of times, when you have an ancient red dragon, they have big ambitions. When you have a lich, they have big ambitions. But when you have a dracolich, they're just hanging out in the graveyard. Mm-hmm. Right? Liches are crazy enough about the big picture and so are dragons in their own way. When you combine the two... I mean, how can you have a Draculich that isn't hell-bent on world domination? Yeah, that's absolutely. Like, where do they go from that? And then they'll get it, and they'll do they'll do cosmic planar it domination. Won't end. No, mm, like, it no. won't end. It will keep going. It's never enough. Right? Yeah. Never so, enough. So why do we not have a Draculich god? If Vecna can do it, if Tiamat can do it, mm-hmm. we should combine the two and have a Draculich evil god. Sure. That's, that's what I'm looking for next. Maybe I'll do that in a campaign at some point. Yes. Yeah. I like it. All right. All right. Last one here. This is my, my favorite one. Miram. So Miram we encounter in Candlekeep Mysteries. So Miram was once an ancient silver dragon but has died and now only her spirit remains. So the reason this worked, about 1500 years ago, Miram the Sentinel Worm, it was what she was known as when she was alive, tried to break, or sorry, what she's known as now. Uh, she tried to break into Candlekeep in order to acquire the wealth and treasures inside for herself. She'll you can't do that. No, you cannot. Channel keep is warded. You're not going to get that. No, no, but she didn't know but you're that. A dragon. I'm gonna you're a dragon. You're going to try it. You're going to try it anyways. She managed to destroy a lot of books, kill a lot of book keeps, until she was eventually, eventually subdued by the Archmage within the Halls of Candlekeep. He placed her under an entrapment spell and basically sentenced her to serve as a protector of Candlekeep to, as mm. reparation for what she had done. What kind of dragon was she? She was a silver dragon. And she attacked Candlekeep. Yes. Interesting. All right. Yes, I know. I, I caught that as well. I thought that was kind of odd, the choice, but that's what it is. However, the problem comes here because before her sentence was served out, the Archmage that put the entrapment on her, the spell on her, passed away. He died. And Wait, what? So, right, she was imprisoned within Candlekeep. She was yeah. placed under a spell in order to protect it. Well, the Archmage who placed that on her, he died. And none of the other mages within Candlekeep knew how to undo the spell. <laughs> Oops. So basically, we lost oh, the man. key. Sorry. We don't, so we basically, no she lived out all of her days stuck in this entrapment. Oh, my God. She eventually dies. However, the spell is so powerful that her spirit is still bound within the halls of Candlekeep under this. So she's a ghostly protector? So she, she's a ghostly protector of Candlekeep. I like that. I, I, I love fun. it. I think it's very flavorful, very interesting. So, anyone who sees her now only is able to describe her as a set of spectral jaws ready, spectral jaws ready to breathe weapons 
and destruction spells upon you. Okay. So if you happen to see her, you're just going to see a spirit pair of spectral draws, and it looks like it's just about to breathe whatever it can on you. Great big open mouth of things. Exactly. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Just floating around. Um, she is forever bound to Candlekeep as its protector and has no horde of her own. Her horde is Candlekeep and is not her own. Okay. She is unable to leave Candlekeep by any means. And that includes any extra planar teleportation magic. There is nothing that can remove her from there. That's how powerful the spell is that's holding her in uh, place. She's stuck in purgatory. Exactly. And absolutely nothing can remove her. So this servitude can be called... She can be called on at any point by the keepers of Candlekeep. There's high-level mages within Candlekeep, and they can call her at any time to come and protect them, or she can basically kill anybody who's wandering the halls that they don't want wandering the halls. She can move throughout it freely on her own, but she can and she can move through walls, she can move through objects. She is spectral, right? So wherever you are, she will find you and she will get to you. Hmm. And she can be summoned by the keepers of Candlekeep. By far, this is the coolest concept to me that we've discussed today, because it's to me it's the most unique yeah, we've discussed some really interesting ones, but this one stands out to me. It's tragic, and it's such an excessive punishment. It's such yes. overkill. Yeah, what what she did was not good. No, but and we don't know why she did it. Maybe we she went in there to destroy some evil tomes or anything. She's silver dragon. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like she may have misguided, had but with the good intention. And right? would a silver dragon even feel the need to explain their actions? No, no. It's Road to hell, good. right? Paid yeah. with good intentions. So. Yeah, yeah. Like, and I don't think I don't think the intent from what I read, the intention wasn't to keep her in servitude forever. Unfortunately, the mage that cast the spell died, and no one else knew how to undo it. Now, you and I were talking about this before we hit record, and yes. there was a little bit of a disparity between um, her size and the the lord saying what age that she is. Yes. Right? So, she died of old age, but she's a large apparition. Correct, yes. So, that leads me to believe that... She was maybe small, maybe... Or young or adult, somewhere in between. Well, you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna back up and say that I, I had originally pitched the idea that she would have been a young dragon yes. just based on on that. And they've heaped a bunch of other special ghost powers to mm-hmm. make her such a high CR level, right? Yeah, because she is incredibly powerful. Yeah, I envision that she lived out her days, and it's just that in the spectral form, she's a little bit smaller. Than I don't she even was. think she's spectral. Uh, she's smaller. Her jaws are the oh, only thing you see. And they are large size. That makes sense. Uh, yeah, I'd be okay with that too. So, so yeah. there you go. So, so yeah, because ancestral really or ancient dragon really makes the most sense given the fact that she was imprisoned for all of her days. Mm-hmm. She would have lived out a life and died within the halls of Candlekeep. So, a little bit quickly on the uh, stat block horror, she loses a little bit of physical stats based if we're going to go off of an ancient Undead. silver, right? Undead. She's going to yeah. lose a little bit of her physical stats. She also loses all of her physical attacks minus mm-hmm. bite. Yeah, look, we get that with the incorporeals. Yeah, it's to be expected. Um, interestingly, she also loses detect as a legendary action, which I would expect her to keep with the spectral form, given the fact I don't think she, she moves needs through. It. Yeah, I, well, she will cover a little bit of that. Yeah, I think you're right. She doesn't. She also obviously loses her wing attack with this form. Sure, but what she gains makes up for it. I would say she gains incorporeal movement, which allows her to move through other creatures and objects as if they were difficult terrain. She gains X-ray vision. Right, allowing her to see through anything up to three meters, aside from a thin sheet of lead. The the barb, the barbarian, and the bard are standing there with nothing to hide. Yes, it's like yep, <laughs> yep, 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 soak it in. <laughs> uh, she retains all of the breath attacks, but also gains a necrotic breath attack. But undead, yeah. Right. So it makes sense. All yeah. this is it's on brand, but just yeah. for rules. 
So, you know, um, and then she gains an innate spell casting. And this is where what I thought was most interesting. She gets Dancing Lights. Sure. Mage Hand. Yeah. Both of those are cantrips, so that, at will. Yeah, but that's poltergeist level shit. Oh, absolutely. Too, yeah. a ghost. But it's at will. Yeah. She gets Detect Magic, Detect Thoughts, Dispel Magic, Locate Creature three times a day. Any of those. So, look, yeah, locate yeah, creatures. Exactly, right? Yeah. That's kind of as the guardian of the halls, it makes sense. Detect thoughts as well. She can exactly. find out where you are. Yeah. yeah. And then, lastly, once a day, she can do dispel evil and good. And lastly, wall of force. Makes sense, right? All of this is kind of on brand yeah. for I no a spectral there. ghost dragon who's floating through the halls of Candlekeep. Yeah. Um, and finally, very cool, she gains a legendary action in teleport, allowing her to teleport up to 120 feet. Which is good because yeah. she's primarily in the catacombs, if I remember correctly. Yes. Which means that that 120 feet with the X-ray vision means that she can go up and down anywhere. Levels. Yes. Right. So um, again, she can roam pretty much freely, but generally she'll stay to lower levels. And if she's summoned elsewhere, then she'll show up there. But just a very cool concept of really hey, cool. let's take a dragon and just make something completely different. Tragic, yeah, that's though, cool. Isn't it? Yeah, it is. So the lore, the style, the combat—I love all of that. Do we have any final thoughts on? dragons these famous dragons what we've learned from is there them? anything we haven't covered i <laughs> mean even if you decide uh, there's going to be something that you use but even if you yeah. don't go with that what it does is it just gets your inspirations racing and it gives you that permission to try things and yeah. essentially mm-hmm. says you can have charisma casters you can have dragons using wands you can have undead spectral dragons there's yeah. there's so many ways you can wormlings can be fun you mm-hmm. know it's uh so it's just a huge inspiration piece for me yeah, for the first time ever, it occurs to me that there could be multiple layers for one dragon. Yes. Right? We saw that a couple of times as well. The idea of the mates was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, like, there's a lot that goes into this that makes them characters and not beasts. And as much as the lore in the Monster Manual says, oh, they've got these attitudes, these personalities, yes. they're all like this. It's very one-dimensional, and the stat block doesn't support that. Mm-hmm. They're just beasts, right? That's yeah. it. There's... Yeah. No personality to it um, outside of their breath weapons. I love digging into the famous ones. And I will do this for whatever creature that I'm going to really highlight. If I'm going to use gnolls, I'm sitting there going, all right, where the fuck are their gnolls so far in 5th edition? Yeah. I'm going to look that up and I'm going to start digging around to see how the designers of the game meant to use these stat blocks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because they're going to change it. They're going to make it different. Every time that you get a leader or a war chief... Or anything like that, they're going to have special unique crap to them. Yeah. Um, and of course, every dragon is a leader. Yes. Even the wormlings. So they almost always get something unique. Even if it's not a mechanical stat, it is something unique about their lore or personality. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think just like all that. And the biggest thing I pulled away from our conversation tonight as well is take account the age, the changing of age of your dragons, right? As they mature. An, an adult dragon is not the same from start to finish mm-hmm. it is going to grow over that time right considering the entire lifetime of a dragon adulthood i mean even us as people who don't live that long you know adulthood when you legally each reach the age of 18 you become an adult to the time where 65 you become, 65, a you become a senior yeah like there's a big difference between 18 and 65 mm-hmm. there's a big difference between 30 and 35 right like it's, there is yeah, yeah. Like, there really is yeah it really is 35. so I play your dragons accordingly right <laughs> Not all adult dragons are going to have the same maturity. Not yeah. all ancient dragons. And deterioration of ancient dragons as well, right? Yeah, it, it's definitely interesting to see. Terry, any any final? My last one is that there are, there are exceptions to every rule with dragons, or at least perceived exceptions. That last mm-hmm. one was a great point. Yeah. We're going, why would the silver dragon do that? 
Yeah. But the tr- the truth is, you don't know. They don't need to explain themselves. No. There's a reason why they thought that, that them as a good dragon needed to do this, or that an evil dragon uh, we saw earlier can do generous acts if it yeah. fits them. Yeah. And your players, they don't need an answer. No. Right. As, as a matter of fact, a DM don't even have to well, have the well, answer. They gave us a steel dragon out of the blue and said, "Don't yeah. worry about don't it." Don't worry about it. <laughs> right. So, yeah. like you as a DM, don't need to justify every little piece of lore. You can just drop it in there. If they want to go digging, then develop the lore. Yes. You don't have to have your whole world built all at once. And remember, yeah. that's real life as well. People do things and say things every single day where you're like, "I don't know why my boss is acting like that. They're a friggin' asshole." But there's a reason, right? You yeah. Know? So. So, I'm fucked. that was a lot of dragons, but we're not done with dragons yet. There are a lot of other pieces of lore in Dungeons & Dragons, including a brand new book that is going to come out before this air episodes. Before this, this air episode. episode. It's been a long episode. Before this episode airs. That's the one. Um, so, um, make sure that you subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what other inspirations and insights we're going to have for you in the future. Next week, we're going to be diving headfirst into another long list of famous celebrities, in 5th edition so far. Looking forward to that one. Yeah. So we're going to talk about another auto in that one. So um, anyway. Thanks for listening to another episode of the It's Mimic podcast. If you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website. That's www.itsamimic.com. As well as a store for some awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So please pass the word to everyone you know that we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube. As well as most podcast apps. Thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic. Where you never know what you're going to get. Thank you for listening to another It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, shoutouts, requests, and mailbag questions can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. Okay, so at the time of this recording, we haven't yet seen Fizban's Treasury of Dragons, but it's coming soon, and it made me wonder who exactly this Fizban character is, and why I never heard of him before. So, I went digging. And I discovered that if you made Gandalf a little more doddering, set him down in the Dragonlance campaign setting, and gave him the Dan treatment of being bald on top, but keeping the beard, love you Dan, don't kill me, you'll get Fizban. So, despite the fact that he's from Dragonlance... Why is he attached to a Draconomicon in the Forgotten Realms? Because traditionally he's actually an avatar of the dragon god Paladin, who is the patron deity of the gods of good. He's a platinum dragon and oversees such abstract ideas as greatness, leadership, and redemption, acting as the god who watches over those who have fallen into corruption but are trying to make their way back to light. Ultimately, Paladin is focused on balance, and while an evil god was stripped of this immortality in the Dragonlance Pantheon, Paladin gave up his immortality as well, and now walks the world as Valthonis, which means the exile in Elvish. So, back to Fizban. How does an avatar of a god reconcile with the fact that the god is now mortal and walking around? Well, there have been some updates to him in 5th edition. Firstly, they cut his beard back to be less Gandalfish. They also made his robe and hat green and gave him hair and a stoner's smile in the art that I've seen so far. Um, in traditional Greyhawk lore, Bahamut liked to walk the earth. Sorry, the orth. As an old man uh, that talked to canaries. These canaries were actually gold dragons in disguise. Over time, Wizards of the Coast has blended Greyhawk and the Forgotten Realms lore, so we see Bahamut and Tiamat in the current campaign setting, although Bahamut has been largely absent so far. 
Considering that Paladin is Bahamut's Dragonlance equivalent and counterpart, I wouldn't be at all surprised to see Fizban become Bahamut's avatar. I mean, they have already completely buggered up Mordenkainen's backstory. They made Ravenloft a subsection of the Shadowfell. They threw Tasha's timeline all out of whack. They rewrote the truth about Tiefling origins. It is entirely possible that they're going to cherry pick Fizban's characteristics and redefine him to suit their purposes. But maybe not. Wizards of the Coast has announced that there will be three classic settings returning over the next two years, and Hickman and Weiss, the creators of Dragonlance, have recently dropped their lawsuit against Wizards of the Coast as well, which I call bullshit on, but that's a different story and based entirely upon my own speculation. But on top of it all, Hickman and Weiss are kicking up a new Kickstarter for their own 5e-compatible D&D rulebook for Dragonlance, the same way that Keith Baker did for his creation Eberron right around the time that Eberron Rising from the Last War was released. So... With the art for Fizban being surrounded by canaries, but that's Bahamut's thing. And he doesn't look like the old traditional Fizban from previous editions. Mm -hmm. He's clearly got an update and we've got a whole lot of Bahamut shit coming in this next book. I'm wondering if he's really going to be Paladin. So I guess the answer now for who is Fizban is we don't know officially, at least until the book comes out. Um, by the time that this episode comes out... The listeners will have a bit of a better answer, and I'm eager to get to that shit. Well, we thought we had the answer for Tasha, who she was in Cauldron of Everything, and then spoilers. Yeah, spoilers. She's in um, Wild Beyond the Witchlight. Witchlight. Yes, so, she is. So and Not just in it, a significant part. Not just name drop. She plays a part. Oh, wow. Yeah, she gets a stat block. So. Yeah. Um, and we didn't know that when we recorded next week's episode. So. <laughs> Correct. Um, so, I mean... Wibbly-wobbly-timey-wimey. Yeah, it's safe to say for Fizban that he's at the very least a platinum dragon god of good and law, masquerading as a befuddled mortal wizard. And that's about all we know for certain. I'm curious to see how they bring him into the Forgotten Realms. Can we talk about quickly the fact that they named the platinum dragon of good paladin with an E on the end? I will go on record as saying I think Dragonlance is bullshit. Uh, Jeff, who's been on the show, will be screaming now mm -hmm. into the microphone. Uh, or into his and speakers. His speakers at home. Yeah, well, he'll hit you on the Discord. Don't worry. Yeah. But uh, I don't like Dragonlance because there's uh, it's a little bit too cutesy 90s and 80s fantasy. Yeah. I struggle with the books a little bit for that reason. I know nothing about Dragonlance, They gave us so. Kender. Oh, uh, bastards. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Do you not know what Kender are, Terry? They're like little uh, they're, halfling things. Aren't yeah, they? they're halflings, but they're all they, kleptomaniacs. All yeah, of them. them. Yeah, they do not understand the idea of ownership, so they'll just walk by and Grab fill their pockets with whatever's on the table. Whatever they need. That's not going to work. Whatever they want. Whatever yeah. they want. That's yeah. not going to work. I'm a capitalist through and through, and that's not going to work for me. Okay? It's not going to work for me. But for them, literally, ownership is 100% of, of the law. So if it's in my possession, it's my, I got it. Yeah. And so, fuck you. You can have it when I'm not using it anymore. Or you but can take if, it from me. Yeah, if I put it down, you can have it, but... I mean, what? God damn! That was a playable race in previous. They're editions. toddlers. Oh, that's what my character would. They're do. They're toddlers. That's uh, what my that, character would do. That right? God damn! Okay, now we're gonna get a rant. Yeah. <laughs> Should I turn off the mic? <laughs> Fuck Candace. Thanks for listening. Bye.